Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I am Brandon Kiley. We are live once again out in Alton, Illinois. We stayed here overnight, had a wonderful time in the great community that is Alton. We are broadcasting live from Max in downtown for day two of the NCAA tournament. And that's where we begin with today's show, boys. My goodness, was day one awesome. Just outstanding from start to finish. And I always forget how amazing the first round of the tournament is until it begins. And let's be honest, the start of the day was a little, eh, nonchalant there wasn't a whole lot there for you boring parlays are ruined by the bko yeah bko (laughs) ruined like the first three of my games yeah by about six o'clock yesterday though everything started heating up and down the stretch of the day it was outstanding i mean it was haymaker after haymaker after haymaker you got a two seed going down for the second straight year kentucky out done in out of the tournament they were somebody that i think it was 10 percent of brackets had Kentucky winning the NCAA tournament this year on ESPN.com. It's the fourth biggest underdog that we've ever seen win in the NCAA tournament was St. Mary's. Richmond took down Iowa. Because of course they did. I had them in my final four. So, of course, they ended up losing in the first round. New Mexico State over UConn. You saw UCLA get pushed by Akron. Arkansas was pushed by Vermont. You saw an overtime game between San Francisco and Murray State, and then another one between Creighton and San Diego State. Guys, what was your biggest takeaway from day one of the NCAA tournament? Uh, My biggest takeaway was that the BKO is still in full effect, ladies and gentlemen, because we start the day off with Michigan versus Colorado State, and BK's going, (laughs) oh, heavy favorite. I got Colorado State. I got money on them. What happens, T-Bone? There was a BKO because it turned around pretty quickly. (laughs) Next game comes up. You get I don't even remember what the next game was, but all I remember that is... That was Iowa at okay, that point. so BK yep. at this point is going, oh, Iowa, simple. I got Iowa going to my final <laughs> four. What happens, T-Bone? There's a BKO. It <laughs> happened time after time after time. And, and let's not forget about my boys, the Jackrabbits, because things really fell apart for them. And my favorite bet yesterday, though, was Arkansas minus the five. Guess what they won by? Four, of course. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you heard this last night, T-Bone, but there was a little birdie that told me that BK was walking around saying that Illinois is a heavy favorite going into this game. Oh, come on, I, I love Illinois. He said there's couldn't, no couldn't chance. love them anymore. He said there's no chance that Chattanooga can even keep this a ball game. That's true. Uh, I feel so, that way. No, but honestly, the biggest takeaway, I prefer chaos in the March Madness tournament. At the end of the day, 
I, I start out optimistic. We talked about this earlier this week. I put a bracket together, and I'm going, oh, boys, this is a great-looking bracket. I got some upsets. I feel confident. But as soon as that first one loses for me, then I just want pure chaos. I want 16 teams take or 16 seeds taking down one seeds. I want the favorites in people's Final Four championship game to be taken out. And frankly, that was a successful one for me because UConn failed, Kentucky failed. That's kind of what I'd prefer in these tournaments. Yeah, my biggest takeaway was really just the madness that occurred late in the night because, like, like BK said, there was really not much going on. A lot of the favorites were winning early on, and it felt like it's just kind of a dull game. And that didn't end up being the case. I was looking at my bracket this morning. I told you guys this. I think I went eight eight in the first games. Uh, <laughs> I did too. It's and, not and, what you want. <laughs> and that's and that's my, and the the thing for me too is like I just didn't trust my gut. I told you guys multiple times. I don't have a twelve seed taking down a five. I know I'm going to regret it. Two twelve seeds won yesterday. I said I really like Richmond. I thought they could keep it a game against Iowa, but I went with Iowa. Had them riding to the final four. What happens? The Spiders come out and they take down Iowa. And two of my four teams in the final four are already out. The Kentucky one was the biggest one because. Who sees a 15 seed in St. Peter's, which nobody seems to know where they are? Uh, New, New take, Jersey. We, we learned that yesterday. Right, we looked that up yeah. yesterday. Nobody sees that coming. The moment they got that game into overtime, I knew St. Peter's was going to win what? that game. Guess what? Guess who bet on St. Peter's once it went into overtime? This guy. He thought he broke the BKO, and then, well, it happened once again. Yeah, and I really wanted San BK. Francisco to pull it out against Murray State, although I, I was so conflicted in that one. I really want Mizzou to hire San Francisco's coach. I was like, do I want them to win? Because if they win, they keep playing, and I need them to interview him and get the thing done early. So I, I was – I was basically, uh, what's his face from Curb Your Enthusiasm going back and Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm kind of looking back and forth like, do I really want them to win? I don't know. What really hurt for me, and this is interesting because all of the, like we went through every region this past week going into the tournament. And the one for me that I felt like was the most obvious one with picks was Kansas region. Yeah. That one for me, it's like I went down. I'm like, okay, Kansas, obviously. San Diego State, eh, Iowa. Eh. I picked South Dakota State. Eh. Like all of those I was so confident in. And that was the region that messed me up more than any of the other ones. Yeah. I where, When you look at it today... Guys, who do you think was the biggest winner from yesterday? Was there somebody? Like, obviously, I'm not talking about the individual game, but the way the thing's set up now for them based on whether it be upsets that took place yesterday. Like, who's the team that you think was the biggest winner from yesterday? Honestly, and I don't want to steal the thunder because I know we talked a little bit about this, so I'm going to leave the, the obvious one for you guys. Kansas was a pretty big winner in my book. I, I mean, because if, if Iowa doesn't lose there, I had Iowa taking down Kansas Same. like I didn't think Kansas was going to get to a final four because of Iowa now that they've lost and anything can happen Creighton can probably take down Kansas but Kansas has got a pretty damn even easy path to get to an elite eight so and they then, play Creighton in the next round yeah. and then they'll play the winner of Richmond versus Providence yeah and so at the end of the day it seems like an easy path maybe not but you're looking at Kansas probably walking all the way into an Elite Eight now because Iowa couldn't win. The big winner for me is Murray State. Totally agree. Now they don't have to worry about Kentucky, who I had going to the Final Four. And Kentucky, I think, had bigger size on them. They take on St. Peter's. They should be able to beat them. And then they'll probably get either Purdue, Texas, Virginia, Tech, Yale, depending on how those games go today. They'll meet them up in the Sweet 16. Honestly, of those four teams, I think Murray State's the better team. I think they have a shot to legitimately meet probably Baylor would be my guess in the Elite Eight, them or UCLA. So I think Murray State's the biggest winner. Don't be shocked if you see Murray State get on a run here and potentially get to the Final Four. They've got the off uh, th That game yesterday between San Francisco and Murray State was the best game we saw all day long. That could have been a Sweet 16 matchup, and I would have been totally fulfilled in watching that one. It was outstanding. 
Um, so I'm with you, Tanner. I, I actually think Murray State is the biggest winner from yesterday. The big thing that people are going to be talking about today, I have to imagine this morning as they're waking up, is, oh, my God, are we going to see these two uh, two seeds going down against 15 seeds regularly? And I think the answer might be yes. And yesterday, Seth Greenberg mentioned something on ESPN about why we are seeing these upsets, upsets rather, and I totally agree with his assessment of the situation. These are two of the oldest teams in college basketball. One's like the sixth oldest team. One's like the eighth oldest team. Both of them start four fifth-year seniors. So these are two mature teams that really, you know, quite honestly, will draw a line in the sand. That's what I think is happening, guys. I think the one and done, we are to a place now where there's so many transfers and there's so many guys that are freshmen that are playing on these top teams in the country that you end up in a situation like Kentucky yesterday where you're going up against one of the best teams in the country in terms of the amount of experience that they have. And your guys are just young and you don't have the experience in the NCAA tournament and you get into that spot. These kids are playing in the biggest games of their lives. They get tight down the stretch and then boom, the, the upset just happens and it happens right before their eyes. I don't know that this is going to be something that we see every year, but I think it's happening more often because of the way that teams are constructed now because of how many transfers and how many young players that you see on these top end teams. I think that's part of why it's happening at the rate that we're seeing of late. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, how often do we see top players, top recruit tech? Missouri just is going through one of those situations now with, what is it, Aiden Ward, who is transferring now without Conzo. You see it nonstop. I really do think the other factor into this, and we talk about this all the time, but it's just the momentum going into the bracket, the tournament. And Murray State, I think, is a perfect example of it for how they played down the stretch and you get into this tournament. And like you said, that was one of the most entertaining games of the, the first day of action. I think that's always a play into this one. Michigan is another one. Michigan takes the victory over Colorado State, and nobody likes Michigan. Michigan seems to be a team that's not going very far, but you got to talk about the team with the momentum going into the tournament. Yeah, you know, the 15th seed is becoming a bit of a regular now. And I said this yesterday after we saw St. Peter's win is it feels like you have to really start considering a 15 to take down a 2 because it's become more regular in the last 5 to 10 years. And it's something that you look at on paper and you go, ah, there's no shot. How, how can it be that a 1 seed never loses to a 16, but yet a 2 somehow can be beat by a 15 and it happens on a pretty much every year or every other year, it's something you're going to have to start looking into. And I think I think experience matters, and I get it. Those are small conferences and they're seniors, but they're seniors. They've been around for yep. four years, and I get it. You go, well, they, they haven't played in a big situation just like the freshmen, but actually they have because those smaller conferences, they don't have the room like a Kentucky has where Kentucky doesn't win the SEC and they still get into the tournament. At St. Peter's, it is basically win or go home in that conference. You win the tournament, you build that momentum that Alex is talking about, and you already have some of that dealing with the – uh, emotions of going through a game of basically elimination game and I think that is I think that is important I think if you're a small conference team you play in those games you get to the tournament and you're kind of used to it who cares if you're playing the yeah. bigger the bigger dogs you go up against them everybody loves the underdog story you build that momentum and boom next thing you know you're on to the next Kyle, round complacency is a big thing with this uh, you know like teams like Kansas teams that are always in the tournament they know they're going to be back there but you get teams like uh, St. Peter's these the, the St. Mary's you get those teams who knows when they're going to be back in the tournament? The other thing, and this doesn't apply to Kentucky necessarily, so I'm applying something that might not be perfect for this current situation, but I do think it applies to other teams um, in, the, in a similar spot where they end up getting upset. The way that teams are playing now also leads to this. If you are a team that shoots a ton of threes and you're the, uh, the, the favorite, if you just start missing some threes, the sight lines aren't the same as what you're used to. Like It can completely change the outcome. 
and maybe you're getting good looks. They're just not going down. And suddenly the other team's with you. You're you got ten minutes remaining. You get tight, and now it's like, man, are, are, are we gonna start hitting shots? If we don't, then things are gonna go horribly wrong for us. I saw there was something yesterday on Twitter that one of the analytics people. I know you love this, Alex. This is gonna be your kind of stat. This peak zip. It was something similar. I'm out. They looked up the expected shot percentage based on where Kentucky oh, yeah. was taking this their shots, a, this the is quality a, of the shots, and how open they were. These are dumb stats. And based on the quality of Kentucky's shots yesterday, they had a 98% chance to win that game. 98% of the time they should have beat St. Peter's, but that doesn't matter. It's one game on one day. They didn't get the job done yesterday. Now Kentucky's going home. St. Peter's is moving on. Huge upset yesterday. Uh, that was the big one there. And today I think it sets up for some more really good games. It's kind of like yesterday in the way that the game are set up. I think you're going to have an awesome one with Loyola versus Ohio State. It's the first game of the day today. It's coming up here in about two minutes or so. That's when tip-off is for that one. I'm looking forward to that game. I'm also really looking forward to the Illinois game, Tanner. I know. I'm actually not positive that Illinois is going to dominate that oh, one the way that some people think. Go. And then I think there's a little bit of a lull. I think you got to wait until the, the best games of the day, I think, once again, are going to be at night. I love UAB versus Houston. I love Davidson versus Michigan State. And that Colgate-Wisconsin game, that's the one that I've got my eye on today for a potential upset. The 14 versus right, the three, dang it. That, that's All the right. one to keep your BK, eye on for later on this evening. if you don't mind, because we got a text earlier that said, uh, on our Air Comfort Service text line 65780, I bet my college kids are my kids' college fund on Iowa. Thanks a lot, BK. Oh, so if you don't mind, would yeah. you deliver to the audience the picks that you have for today's game so that they yeah. can hashtag fade BKO? Yeah, so the, the picks that I love today... Here you go. Write this if, down, if you want to write this down, take it to the bank, you can go ahead and the lead pipe locks of the day from your boy BK right here on 101 Hashtag ESPN. fade BKO. Iowa State, straight up, money line against LSU. Love them today. I actually had that too. Houston, oh, minus eight and a half against UAB. Everybody's trendy underdog today, the 12-5. Everybody's going to be going for it after yesterday. We saw it a couple of times. Houston, eight and a half point favorite against UAB. Love Houston. I really like Davidson on the money line tonight against Michigan State and Colgate money line against Wisconsin. Those are my picks today. Colgate money line, Davidson money line, Houston minus the eight and a half. And the last one that I had for you guys was Iowa State on the money line all as right. well. Taking a few underdogs today, boys. Hold on. I got to go into my DraftKings <laughs> app and now change Dang all it. of these bets. I had Colgate winning too. And now I got to take out all of these bets on my DraftKings app. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. What's the number one game you guys are looking forward to today? I think mine is definitely going to be the Wisconsin-Colgate game yep. because I, I truly believe Colgate's going to take down Wisconsin. I, I'm just not sold on all these Big Ten teams in this tournament. I think the Big Ten's good. It's not great. And I think Colgate can shoot the lights out of the ball. So I, I think they have a legitimate shot. That's the game I'm looking forward to most. Mine's Davidson-Michigan State because I, I think Davidson's got a clear path to the Sweet 16. And then it gets interesting because I got Davidson versus Texas Tech to go to the Elite Eight. And I think if Davidson can get past this one and then take on Duke, they might be a, a team that could be fighting for a Final Four spot with Gonzaga. It's going to be a fun one today. You'll hear about it. We'll keep you updated all day long right here on 101 ESPN. Again, we are broadcasting live at Max out in downtown Alton, Illinois. We're going to be here all day once again today. We'll be broadcasting live until 2. The fast lane coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're joined for our weekly conversation with Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff and Sirius XM NHL. One of the things that I want ask him about is the report that emerged yesterday are the blues really considering trading jordan bennington we'll talk about it coming up next here on 101 espn 
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Tough loss last night for the Blues in the shootout against the Penguins. Although Ville Husso played very well, he kept a minute. He did give up a couple of goals that if you asked him about afterwards, I'm sure he would have said, hey, I'd, I'd like to have that one back. That being said, the Blues can't allow the amount of opportunities, especially the quality opportunities that they did last night against Pittsburgh. Here's Craig Berube afterwards talking about his goalie and the effort that he gave his team. Yeah, he played excellent, you know, um, made some big saves and kept us in there and gave us a chance to win. You had to be happier with your OT, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot better. We had some good chances. We were, you know, more patient, did a good job. That was Craig Berube after the game last night. I felt the same way. I, I thought Ville Husso played really well. And Alex, I, I thought it was interesting that the Blues decided to go to Ville Husso last night. Coming off of the extended break, going into a big game at home against Pittsburgh, I, I, maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here, but that felt to me meaningful that he has now started three of your last four games and he was the one that got the opportunity in a big one against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I mean, like it or not, and maybe this is tinfoil and I'm reading too much into it, but he is playing a starter's role right now. I, I mean, you go back to his last three starts, you play against the New York Rangers where you had a day off in between, so it's not like it was a back-to-back -back where you were forced to play one goalie over the other. You played Villejuso. Okay, I can understand that because that's a big matchup. Villejuso's gotten some of those. The one that really struck me was the Nashville Predators game because that was the start of a back-to-back -back after Huso had already played a game against the New York Rangers, and they went back to their number one goaltender, if you're going to call them that, against a really big-time opponent. And they chose to play Bennington against the Winnipeg Jets. And then, of course, you get this one against Pittsburgh after three days off. So the writing's on the wall, in my opinion. The Blues view Ville Husso as the, I don't want to say number one, because I 1A. do. 1A. Yeah, I do still think that you're going to see a split between the two teams. But he's getting the bigger opportunities in terms of the matchups, if that makes sense. Teams that are in the playoffs, those are the matchups that they are putting Ville Husso in because they view it as he is the guy who is keeping them in these hockey games. I view it that way as well. He has now started 10 of their last 15 games. He's gotten some of the bigger starts, if you're looking at with Pittsburgh and against Nashville. He also got a start against the Rangers. Meanwhile, the opponents that Bennington's seen in this stretch are the likes of Winnipeg and Ottawa and the Islanders and Chicago and Philly. Like It does not seem to be an accident who they're choosing and for which games. And then you add that to the report that emerged yesterday, which I was struck by, Alex, and surprised by, frankly, from Frank Saravalli, who wrote this for the Daily Faceoff. Quote, sources say that the Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong, has contacted teams perceived to be active on the goaltending market and pitched the 2019 Stanley Cup champion Jordan Bennington as a potential solution to their problems. We are told that there has not been much traction, if any, which makes a trade unlikely for a number of reasons, but Bennington's availability certainly comes as a surprise given the fact that he just signed a long-term deal last March. Here's what he continues with. It would appear right now Huso would be Craig Berube's Game 1 starter in the Stanley Cup playoffs, not Jordan Bennington, so the move, if it took place, could be multifaceted for the Blues. Armstrong could move on from Bennington, create more salary cap flexibility, and add elsewhere on his roster before Monday. 
It would open the door for the Blues to also re-sign Ville Husso in the offseason, perhaps to a less expensive deal with less term on it. Flexibility would be the key. The Blues are expected to be active between now and Monday's 3 o'clock deadline, and they are a dollar-in, dollar-out type of cap situation right now. Again, that all coming from Sarah Valley. Wow. Yeah, and understand, like, this isn't just the, you know, oh, there's a rumor out there. This isn't the agent game right here. Frank Saravalli is the guy who broke every team's expansion draft player that was selected by the Seattle Kraken. Like, this guy is tied in. I mean, he's about as tied in as Elliot Friedman, who, in my opinion, is the best insider in the National Hockey League. So Frank Saravalli's saying this, and it's not that teams are calling the Blues for him. Doug Armstrong is contacting teams about Jordan Bennington. And it is mostly about the dollars in, dollars out. But the more I thought about it, here's what came to mind yesterday for me. I don't know if this is more about Jordan Bennington than it is Doug Armstrong wanting to lose Villahusa. Because the unrestricted free agent has been one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League when he's been in between the pipes. You know he's going to get paid because there's a lot of desperate teams out there that need goaltending help. Edmonton, Toronto, Heck, Vegas right now. If you're Doug Armstrong, I don't know if this is as much of, well, we want to move on from Jordan Bennington. Is it as we can't lose Ville Husso for how good he's been? And if that's the case, it's not so much I think he's going to get traded by Monday. I think it's more along the lines of what's going to happen in the offseason when you have to re-sign Husso. This feels like one of those situations where the team is setting up the offseason. I don't think Jordan Bennington's going to get traded at the trade deadline. I would be pretty shocked if that ends up happening. Same. I do think that the Blues are looking for an escape hatch, though, from this current contract that they signed with Jordan Bennington. That's me reading the tea leaves. I'm just projecting here. But if they could sign Ville Husso to a four-year, $16 million extension this offseason, and you trade Jordan Bennington, and you open up some more cap flexibility, and you look at it as a way for you to be able to acquire a defenseman, and then maybe it does open up some space for you to also go out there and get a Matthew Kachuk, I think this team could look a lot different next year than it does right now. One thing that we will always say about Doug Armstrong is that he's aggressive. And earlier today, I was also reading from Emily Kaplan of ESPN.com. And here's what she said when she was asked, who is a team that could do something that is unexpected? She said, quote, I present to you the St. Louis Blues. In St. Louis, Doug Armstrong has been saying that he has no cap space and can't get anything done. But from the amount of work that I hear the organization has been doing behind the scenes, it appears that they are plotting something big, specifically on the blue line. That is a general manager that is not afraid to be bold. I think Doug Armstrong's doing something. I don't know if it's going to be by Monday, but I think Doug Armstrong has some big plans for what this team's going to look like in 2023. Alex, it makes me wonder if I have been misreading the situation on how the Blues view this roster. I wonder if the Blues are like, hey, we're pretty good. This is a good team. We're going to try to go for it. Maybe they acquire a, a Jacob Middleton or a Carson Soucy, something like that going into the deadline to be able to stabilize themselves. But really, when we've been asking the question, is this the team that you go all in on? I think Doug Armstrong's answer to that question might be, no, but 2023 is. That's the year that they're really looking at potentially going all in. Yeah, and on one hand, I can see that because, I mean, think of, think of the landscape. Like Minnesota is still going to be in cap hell uh, because of the Parise and Ryan Suter deals, and they're going to have to re-sign some of their players, so they're not going to be the same team. 
Nashville's going to be an interesting development of what happens with Philip Forsberg. Colorado's not going to have Nazem Kadri next year unless he's going to sign for a discount, but why would you for an MVP candidate? And the, the Central Division is kind of opening up for the Blues next season. But I also would, would alter that by saying the Vegas Golden Knights will be healthy next year and have a Jack Eichel on their squad. So they're going to be a more dangerous team. So it's a risky game if you're Doug Armstrong to say maybe next year's the deal. Maybe next year's the year that we can pursue a Stanley Cup. I think you still go all in right now because Vegas is hurt. Colorado is still going to have to play somebody in the first round. You wouldn't match up with them until yeah. the second round. Take a chance if you can get it, but you can still set yourself up for next season if you make a significant move at the deadline, whether it's a Proveroff or a Chikrin, and then address the other situations when it comes to the offseason. I don't think the Blues are going big on a rental. That's no. my biggest takeaway from all of this is if they go big at the deadline, I think it's for a blue liner, a, a defenseman, that they view as the answer for now and for the future. Yeah. If they go big, it's going to be Chikrin or Proveroff or Sanheim. It's going to be a guy who's got term. And I, it doesn't sound like Sanheim is like totally available. It's weird. I think Proveroff might be the one that's more available of the two, strangely enough. And I think he's the one that I would rather have of those two guys. I think they go that, that route, or I think they drop down all the way to the cheap Justin Braun, Jacob Middleton, uh type of guy that that is just available for a rental so i think that's what you're looking at for this year's deadline based on where we are today coming up in 15 minutes we'll get to some ask us anything 65780 is the air comfort service text line for ask us anything coming up next mike mckinney he's a former nhl goalie now an analyst for the daily Faceoff and sirius xm nhl what did he make of this report yesterday on jordan bennington what would he do moving forward to the blues goalie situation mckenna tells us next on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You heard that we're at lo- you heard that correctly rather. Easy for me to say. We are broadcasting live out at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois, alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. We are now going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, the former NHL goalie. He's Mike McKenna joining us here on the show. Mike, I know you're always typically out, uh, out on the ice at like 3 a.m., getting ready, getting going for your day. How you doing today, man? I'm good. I was on the ice at seven, uh, standard deal for a Friday morning, but you know what? We were missing some bodies. I, I kind of forget what it's like for there to actually be a spring break for school. This is the first year in a non COVID world that our two daughters, uh, which are in kindergarten and third grade have a spring break, like a normal one, you know? And so I, I didn't even, it even cross my mind that we could have gone somewhere and done something. <laughs> now I feel bad because I, I'm kind of like guilted into it because it seemed like everybody else I skated with this morning, was like headed out of town or something. So uh, it was a good day on the slab, but uh, looking forward to a couple of days just to spend time with the kids. Well, Mike, if you ever need an extra body for hockey, uh, I can volunteer BK because. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a re- it's better than wasting a parking cone, you know? Yeah, well, orange cones have a purpose, and sometimes an orange cone would be better than some defenseman that I've played behind previously. So, you know, if. Uh... <laughs> I feel like Billy Husso you know feels what? that way sometimes. People that are listening to this are probably going, yeah, well, I've played with shooter tutors that are better than you, Mike. So it's a two way street. Shooter tutors. I like this one. <laughs> I like this one. Well, Mike, let, let's start with the surprising news from yesterday, I guess. Uh, your co host. And um, and co-worker Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff, he put a piece out yesterday 
saying that he's heard that Doug Armstrong has contacted some general managers around the NHL about Jordan Bennington. Are you surprised to hear that? Well, I think that every general manager does their due diligence. And I think that this was probably more of a case from what I can gather of Doug Armstrong just saying, hey, what do you think regarding Jordan Bennington? And I don't think there was much traction at all with teams, largely just because of the the size and length of his contract. Five more years left at six per year is it's a hefty cap hit. And considering how Jordan's played this year, I think there would be some very, very strong hesitation to anybody making a move for him. Um, but man, teams need goalies. And right now I don't think that that was lost on Doug Armstrong. Again, I don't think there was much traction to it, but you know, if let's say somebody wanted to bite on dinner on Bennington, if he were to go, you've got Huso in the wings, you can spend money to bring him back. There's a lot of things that could happen. So like I say, I don't think there was much to it, but I do find it interesting that it was at least uh, enough of a thing for it to end up being in the public domain. Does that tell us more about how the Blues view Jordan Bennington or how they view Ville Husso? Um, I would say it's more just the salary cap world more than anything. Um, I mean, anytime you could possibly loosen up $6 million of cap space, that's a pretty big deal. And, you know, $6 million bucks, you're not looking for a 904 save percentage. You're looking for a 917, 918, 920. Like, you're looking for a player to perform to that. And so far that hasn't been Bennington so far this year. There's been glimpses, but we've also seen the struggles. So I think it's a little bit of both. And I think that Huso has obviously made a case for himself. They feel comfortable with him. Uh, his consistency this year has been phenomenal. So uh, is it a small sample size for Huso? Yeah, it is. But again, if you're trying to balance cap space, these are things that you have to look at as a general manager. If you're a goalie, if you're Jordan Bennington's shoes, Mike, uh, can you... Can you come back from this? And I understand the way that's phrasing it, and it's not a great way to put it, but if you're Jordan Bennington and you sign that long-term contract and then you find out that they're, they're shopping you, if they come back to you and can't find a deal and they don't re-sign a Huso and he's their number one guy, can you move on from that? Well, you have to. And, I mean, I think that every goalie out there and every player for that matter, unless your name is like, Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid probably realizes that your name is going to come up in trade talks at some point. Now, is it surprising that it's public? Yeah, a little bit, but it's also a kick in the pants. You know, oh man, I really got to get it going here. Because the moment you leave the organization you signed with, there's no guarantees anywhere. And here's what I like about Jordan Bennington. The guy's a fighter, man. He's a battler. Like he's absolutely had to grind to get everything he's gotten in the NHL and his career. I believe in him being able to get it back. You just have to keep going for it. And, you know, is it ideal this season with Huso playing so well and taking ice time? It, probably not because Bennington hasn't gotten the same number of starts in a row, you'd think, but that's because Huso's earned the net. So I, I think Bennington can get past it for sure. He's a, he's a fighter. He's a battler. And, and big picture here, when you're a professional hockey player, your name's always up in trade talks. And, and I think we're all really well aware of that. Uh, and you just have to do your best to make sure that you end up where you want to. Another couple of minutes here with Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Mike, Jeremy Rutherford put together a good piece today breaking down the top trade targets for the Blues, and he, he listed a few that were under the category of might make the most sense at this point given the prices that we're seeing some of these guys getting shopped for. And the players that he had under that are Carson Susie from Seattle, Nick Letty, the guy that you told us a couple of weeks ago you like from Detroit, 
Jacob Middleton from San Jose, Brandon Dillon from Winnipeg. Where are you at on this now? We've only got a few days, just this weekend before the NHL's trade deadline. What do you think is the most likely scenario for the Blues as we approach the deadline? Yeah, I wouldn't touch Middleton. Uh, I just do not like that San Jose team and what's going on there. And, and I don't mean that as a knock on Middleton as a person or anything. I just, I'm not sure that that's the right fit at all. Um, I do like Susie. I liked him a lot in Minnesota previously, but I really think that Letty can bring an aspect to the Blues that works. He's been on good teams before. He knows what it takes to perform at high levels. You know that they're missing him in Long Island a ton right now. Um, I think he makes sense. And I wouldn't mind Dylan either. I'm not as high on Dylan as I would be on Letty, even though Letty's been in a tough scenario in Detroit. Um, I still really like how he plays. I think he'd fit in. Uh, I do think that the Blues are bummed that they probably couldn't pull off Sherratt or be in the mix there. And I don't think that Giordano's the path that they're going to be looking down because he's going to command a pretty hefty ransom compared to the four that we just talked about. So if the Blues can grab something that's, you know, that they're giving away something other than a first-round pick or even a second-round pick, that's a good fit. Um, and to me, those four kind of fit into that mold. I mean, I think the Blues would still like to – I mean, they still might be in on Giroux. Boy, that's going to take an awful lot of cap wrangling to make it happen. So I think the most likely move would be on the back end. It's nice to have Scandella back. But, man, if you're going for a playoff run, you need to have depth on the backside. Final one for you, Mike, and then we'll get you out of here on this. What about the long-term options? Do you think it's still a possibility for a Jacob Chikrin or an Ivan Provorov for the Blues? Provorov is the one that I'd keep my eye on. I don't think Chikrin is the landing spot for the Blues. Just knowing what other teams have valued him for on the market, I don't know if the Blues could swing that deal. Um, you know, you've got teams out there monitoring Chikrin that are – yeah, teams like in L.A. or in Anaheim that have some cap space to work with and are building, even though they're good in L.A. right now, uh, Florida flew through a pretty nice package towards Arizona that was declined. Um, I don't know specifics on it, but I know it was pretty big. Uh, and the rumor was that Spencer Knight, goaltender for the um, Florida Panthers, would have been involved in that package, and it got turned down. Or that's who Arizona wanted, and Florida said, no, we're not giving him up. So if that's the case, you have to know Arizona's looking for something big with prospects that could possibly play. I don't think the Blues want to do that. So I think it's a tough landing spot for Chikrin. Provorov's a different story because he is deeper into his career. He's performed previously, and he just seems stale in Philadelphia. So long-term play at this deadline for Provorov, I'd still be kind of surprised by it. I think the Blues are more in rental market. But I think in summertime, all bets are off the draft. Who knows? I think Provorov could be in play maybe later. He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff and SiriusXM NHL. You can also follow him on Twitter, at MikeMcKenna56. He tweets out a bunch of videos, stuff that he's doing with Frank Saravalli, all the work that he's doing for the Daily Faceoff you can find right there. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy this weekend. Enjoy Monday as it's trade deadline day, and we'll talk with you again next week. I will. I can't wait. We're doing three and a half hours live at Daily Faceoff streaming. No ads, no commercials. So you can look at my ugly mug for half of a day if you want to, if you want to stream it. So if people want to do that, go right ahead. We'll be breaking all the news. But, yeah, have a great weekend. It's going to be no shortage of excitement leading up to trade deadline. Get Looking that coffee, Mike. Yeah, that's right. I need about five <laughs> roasts. I'll be all set. <laughs> Thanks that's for having Mike me, guys. McKinnon. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. I, I think there might be some truth to what he's saying. I, I think what you're watching right now with the Blues and some of these reports that are emerging, whether it be Provorov or Chikrin, uh, some of the big picture planning that they're doing, 
I wonder how much of this is just setting up the conversation that Doug Armstrong is going to be having with other GMs in the offseason. Like, maybe right now he's got something that's kind of a be- – I don't know if it's Jacob Middleton. I Clearly, me and Mike view him differently. <laughs> you basically shut that one down immediately. But maybe it's a Carson Soucy or somebody like that, that, that third tier maybe uh, type of a defenseman. That's the route they go now. And then in the offseason, I-, I think this team might be wildly aggressive. This might be a lot more turnover than we were expecting. Maybe that means Jordan Bennington's elsewhere. Maybe that means they go out there and acquire a Matthew Kachuk as they're looking at the the mortality of this version of the Calgary Flames. Maybe that means going out there and making a big move for a defenseman like a Provorov. Well, I, I think you could see off a really in, in, intriguing offseason for the Blues, and maybe those conversations are just starting now, and they'll continue once we get into June and, and July. And that's why I would just tell people that depending on what the outcome is, if the Blues don't make a move, don't be so quick to bash on Doug Armstrong because trading assets for a Ben Sherratt or a Hampus Lindholm or a Mark Giordano that's not going to get you where those assets can get you in the offseason for acquiring a Matthew Kachuk or an Ivan Proferoff or maybe swing back around to Jacob Chikrin when he's healthy. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line coming up in 15 minutes. We're going to get into our 20 most important players for 2022. We continue our countdown with number 17, a guy who the Cardinals plan to lead on in a big way. Maybe that's starting to change. We'll do that coming up at the top of the hour. But coming up next is Ask Us Anything here on 101 ESPN. To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start out with this one for you guys from the 314. I mean, how bleeping pumped are you for the Blues offseason after that conversation with Mike McKenna? I know we're still going to hoist the cup in June with this year's club. Yeah. But dang, this looks pretty exciting for the offseason. I do think it presents uh, some some really interesting conversations to be had in the offseason. And, of course, that all starts with Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, like, the same conversation we had last year is going to be once again developing in June and July. The next two years are just going to be fascinating with what Doug Armstrong does to construct this team. One, because you got Matthew Kachuk as a possible trade piece. And then on top of it, you got the guy who could be an unrestricted free agent if he just signs a one-year deal with the Calgary Flames. And then you also got the decisions that it comes down to with David Perron, with Billy Husso, with Ryan O'Reilly. What happens with Jordan Bennington? Do they find that top four defenseman? I mean, we talked with Doug about a month ago and asked him if that window has opened even more. And he said with Thomas and Cairo's emergence, it's now opened and staying open. And if that's the fact, it's going to be fascinating of what they decide to do with this team. If Matthew Kachuk's out there, oof. That's going to be a dangerous-looking team if they could get them. Yeah, it should be a heck of an offseason, especially if they don't go with the big move on the defense this this season. And maybe they get, like, that depth guy that we've talked about. Maybe it's the Justin Braun and someone like that. Army will actually go out and be aggressive in an offseason. I mean, we've seen it time after time. It's not like we're going to be sitting here and we're talking all about this, oh, we're going to have this big offseason and then nothing comes to it. Usually Army is active, and usually you can tell when he's going to be. And if he's building up for a really big push in 23, 
man, the offseason is going to be a hell of a ride. It's just too quiet. That's my thing. It's just too quiet. And, like, it's the calm before the storm with Doug Armstrong every time he does something like that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Ask Us Anything. Let's get to this one from the 618. Guys, how many Cardinal starters do you believe will exceed 100 innings of uh, pitched this year? How many How many starters will will throw at least 100 innings in 2022? So I think Wayno gets there. Matt's. I think Matt's gets there. I, I think, think Michaelis gets there. Say, I think Michaelis. Well, Hudson, I don't know. Hudson, Hudson I think, could get there. I don't think it's going to be much over, but I think Hudson can get there. I'd be pretty surprised if he's under 100, barring injury. I think that's One, fair. If you set the over-under at 125, I might take the under there. But I think he gets over 100 innings. So I'd, I'd say four. I think you get four guys that throw at least 100 innings, and that gives me a little bit of room to potentially maneuver, depending on what happens with Jack Flaherty, if he's yeah. out yeah. for an extended period. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think Jack Flaherty, I mean, I don't know the seriousness of his injury, but I don't know if he's getting 100 and then anybody that fills in his spot, unless it's someone like a Sean Manaya that yep. you go out and get or a Michael You guys forgot Pineda. about Manaya and, and Montas. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Manaya, John Heyman tweeting out, the A's are receiving a ton of interest in Montas and Manaya. Interested teams had hoped there would be a deal by now, but there's already a lot to consider for the A's. Quote, both have understandably high price tags, especially on Montes, who's not a free agent until after next year. According to Heyman, the Yankees, the Twins, the White Sox, the Royals, and the Cardinals. The Cardinals oh, are let's go. involved in the conversation. Let's go, so, T-Bone. They're least, involved in every rumor. <laughs> at least they're reportedly involved. I think John Heyman so. just always automatically adds Cardinals to every tweet he puts out there. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions, excuse me, for Ask Us Anything from the 314. Guys, I see Kairu getting manhandled in the playoffs. If I was Doug Armstrong, I would float him in a trade. Unless he starts playing some legit defense, I just don't see him as a guy that they can uh, build around. He's a fine in the regular season, but I don't know about in the playoffs. Alex? You can't get manhandled when you have magic hands. Amen. And that's what Jordan Kyrou's got. He's got magic hands and magic feet. You can't get manhandled. Look, you're not float. The only way you float Jordan Kyrou is if you're getting Matthew Kachuk in return. I'm not I'm not trading Jordan Kyrou. Jordan Kyrou, Robert Thomas, those are the two guys for me that are just completely untouchable from this current roster. And right now, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole no. because Jordan Kyrou's a point-per-game player. There's no way Jordan Kyrou should be floated at all. And it doesn't matter if you get manhandled in the playoffs. Look at the the skill that he possesses with the puck on his stick. He's a playmaker. He's a goal scorer. He can do it all for you. And this is the first full year as an NHL player. Like, he played half a season last year. You remember Robert Thomas's first year as a full-time NHL player? He had to put on some size, some weight. Look, it took him about three full seasons to get to the potential that he's at now. Give Kairou a couple of years. Let him put on a little bit more muscle. Let him get a little bit more defense underneath his belt. He could be a two-way player for this Blues team. Yeah, and I, I think Jordan Cairo, he's going to be a point-per-game ga- point player for the Blues for years to come as well. So, And when he gets stronger and gets better, he's going to only improve. I, I think Jordan Cairo is a guy that could easily put up about 100 points in a season consistently. So I would not move him at all. Yeah, he's no touch for me. Uh, from the 314, guys, what happened to Tanner? His voice sounds way lower than usual today. Oh. T- Tanner had a long night. What happened, buddy? T- yeah, Tanner had a, a very, My very jaw long hurts. Night. I think I got punched. And I'm not <laughs> sure if that actually happened or not but my jaw does hurt. Tanner had himself an enjoyable evening just hanging out, watching college basketball, listening to Blues pre- and post-game with your boy here. Your boy Alex Ferrario. (laughs) Huh? There it is. It's your boy Alex Ferrario. For the first time ever, I said that. Um, (laughs) 
We had a great night out in Alton, Illinois last night. We stayed out here at Max until, what, 11-ish? 11, probably. 11, I think I ended up posting him about 1045. It's about 11, 11.15. We got an Airbnb out here, decided to go back to the apartment after that, watched a bunch of hoops over there. He kept Grandpa uh, Ferrari up. Tanner broke out yeah. my uh, my makers last night. He enjoyed himself some of that and then enjoyed himself some more of it. And then these blankers kept some me more up. after that. These blankers kept me up to 145. <laughs> what are we doing here? I go to bed at 11.30. Alex, I have never seen somebody get more sleepy as we got past the 12 o'clock threshold than where he was at last night. Yeah. I don't think he knew where he was. Neither did Tanner, but for very oh, yeah, different yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. I knew where we were. <laughs> this is how the progression goes for your boy here, Alex Ferrario. What happens is at about 11 o'clock, that's bedtime. So once you surpass that threshold, then it becomes slap happiness. That goes until about 12.30, 1 o'clock. And then once you hit 1 o'clock, then it just gets you, into I shut down all engines. You look like a zombie by like I 1 mean, o'clock. I won't talk. The eyes bug out of my head. I start to sway back and forth. Frankly, you'd think I'm I'm intoxicated but it's huh. really we were both swaying back and forth I'm, for different I'm, reasons <laughs> i'm intoxicated on sleep i just want to go to bed tanner woke up this morning and said guys there's a 30 minute period that i i don't really remember any of tanner, <laughs> tanner walked out to find his vehicle and he turned left and the vehicle was to the right so that I, I, I almost got lost it almost happened but everything's fine my head only hurts so everybody be quiet and uh we'll move on well, we had a great time out here in alton that, that's that's all that needs to be said from there alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendricks and i'm brandon kiley we got craig button nhl analyst for tsn joining us coming up here in about 30 minutes or so want to get his thoughts on if he thinks that doug armstrong has something big up his sleeve either at the deadline or as we get into the offseason, we'll talk to Craig Button about that coming up at 1230. We continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022. Next, though, with number 17, an arm that might need a little more time. We'll tell you who that is coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season on BK and Ferrario. Number 17, Alex Reyes. Reyes to Mariznik. Sway and a miss. Got him. Reyes bounces back. Cards win three of four. They win this one three to two. And they're a game above the 500 mark. What a series here at Book. Number 17 on our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022 is indeed Alex Reyes. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex had Reyes at number 16 on his list. I had Reyes at number 15 on my list. Tanner dragging down the group at number 18 for Alex Reyes. T-Bone. On our list of the 20 most important Cardinals. If you missed it earlier this week, Jordan Hicks came in at number 20 for us. Nolan Gorman at number 19. Juan Yepes at number 18. And now we are at Alex Reyes, the number 17 most important Cardinal for 2022. He was outstanding to start last year. Put together legit all-star numbers and was named an all-star as a result. The second half didn't go well, though. And it resulted in him losing his job as the closer for the Cardinals. He got into the playoffs. You get into the wild card game. And we all know what happened there with Chris Taylor going deep against him to send the Dodgers to the NLDS, sending the Cardinals home. And now Alex Reyes is having to push back his throwing uh, program. According to Derek Gould, the latest on Reyes, he's on a no-throw list for the next two weeks. That's and good. then after that, he's going to rest. And then he will have an extended spring training for Alex Reyes. So at a minimum, 
you're probably going to be without Alex Reyes for the next month or so. Guys, what do you make of Alex Reyes being at number 17 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals? That's why I kept him a bit lower on mine because I really – I didn't – it seems strange to say for, for being an all-star last year, but I didn't have a whole lot of high expectations because I was concerned that injuries were going to pop back up. And the fact that he just kind of fell off last in the second half of last year after that all-star break, I thought he was going to be impactful, but I didn't think he was going to be impact as impactful as the Gallegos, the Cabreras, the other players in the bullpen for the Cardinals. And the fact that he wasn't going to be stretched out as a rotation arm, that was the other reason I pushed him back a little bit. I still think he will have an impact on the season. I think he'll heal up. I think he'll be a big piece of this bullpen moving forward. Hopefully that third arm. He's, he was deserving to be on my list, but I just didn't know how much I wanted to move him up that list because I just wasn't sure what Alex Reyes' trajectory was. Yeah, and that's part of the reason he's so low on my list is just because at the time that we made the list, it was right when the lockout had ended, and uh, John Mozeliak held his first press conference, and he basically had said, you know, it's going to be tough to get these guys stretched out, a Reyes, a Hicks, and you want to be cautious with them because of their injury history. So I wasn't 100% certain what his role was going to be. Heading in, I thought it was going to shadow rotation. Now with the injury, it looks like he's probably at best going to be just a seventh-inning guy, but he has to make the list because, I mean, when he is right, you saw it last year. He has all-star stuff. He can be a guy that goes into our circle of trust, can get you out in the biggest spots, but when he when he struggles, it, it can be re- it, it's it's bad. It's really bad. It's it's a loss of command. He can't get guys out. You have to pull him out of innings. So he made my list. He probably if I knew his role heading into the year, like I think I have an idea of what it's going to be now when he's healthy. He probably would have been even higher on my list. But at the time when we made the list, I just wasn't 100% certain what the plan was. So that's why he was a little bit lower on mine. Yeah, and I had him at number 15 because I thought he was going to be the linchpin to their new approach with their pitching staff. I mean, you you listen to anything that Ollie Marmol or John Mozeliak have said all offseason and now certainly leading into spring training. They're clearly going to modernize their pitching approach here. And it's going to be, you're going to use openers occasionally, especially in those double headers. I think you could see something like that. I think you're going to see Jordan Hicks on a very unique sort of throwing program this year. I think the same could have been true for Alex Reyes, especially now that you see him dealing with an injury. I think going into the season, they're going to view him as a guy that they've got to be very careful with. And they've got to handle him with kid gloves a little bit. So I think you could see a Colin McHugh type of approach with both Reyes and with Jordan Hicks. Now, that puts a lot of pressure on a rookie manager. I don't know how Ali Marmol is going to handle that. If you're telling me, like, imagine going into a series and you know going in, you can't use Hicks or Reyes, but they have to be out in your bullpen because there's no flexibility with them to send them down to AAA. That's going to be tough, man. Instead of dealing with an eight-man bullpen, now on any given day, you might only have four guys that are out there available for you. And that changes the way that you manage a game. I know with the DH, that helps you a little bit, but... It changes some things for you. So especially now that he's hurt, I think if we were doing this list again, I would probably still have him right around this range. But I I think this completely changes early on in the season how they're going to be able to handle their bullpen. I'm glad you brought up the point on, you know, Alex Reyes and you have him in the bullpen, may not be able to use him. Look, I think Mike Schultz felt guilty of it sometimes of, you look at Alex Reyes down your bullpen, it's tempting. Knowing the stuff that he has, it is going to be tempting for even Ali Marmol to kind of go away from that plan at times and use him. Ali Marmol had the comments, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, saying, yeah, I don't really have a closer, whatever the big spot situation is. Yep. And you could, I would not be stunned if there are times where he kind of falls away from that idea because of the stuff that Alex Reyes has. Because, again, when he's right, 
he's an all-star and he's a legitimate top-end closer. But if he's not pitching well, then that's when you get into the concerns of how are you going to use him. I'm a little concerned for Ali Marmol in that bullpen usage because of what you mentioned. Like, if you don't have Reyes, if you don't have Hicks, Henesis Cabrera was good last year, but there were moments where he would get a little out of control. And you are still talking about a young pitcher who mentally you want to make sure you have him for a full 162. Gallegos I'm not too concerned about, but then after that, you have a lot of depth pieces, but you have a lot of depth pieces that you're hoping for the best outcome. It's not like you have a bunch of Luis Garcia's in the bullpen that you know you're going to get the best from. You don't know what you're getting out of these guys. A couple of these guys haven't pitched in the majors for a couple of seasons. In Verhagen and Wittegren, a couple of these guys couldn't stay consistent. In Ryan Helsley and Cody Whitley, and then, of course, the injury history. Like, if my next best option is TJ McFarland, and no disrespect to TJ, I'm a little concerned for a young manager with that type of bullpen rather than with the veteran experience that you know you can trust for 162. The Cardinals are making a huge bet on their defense this year. That's what they're doing. Like, And that's why I think that Tommy Edmond needs to be your everyday second baseman probably for the majority of the season is because if you're going to have this kind of a pitching staff that pitches to contact regularly, having a, a below-average player defensively anywhere – can open up some wounds that will ultimately be more than just a flesh wound. They will potentially be fatal flaws. So Alex Reyes comes in at number 17 on our list of the 20 most important players for 2022. I did want to talk a little bit about a report that emerged earlier this morning. The National League continues to get better around the Cardinals. Not necessarily in the Central, but everywhere else. According to a, a report, it looks like the uh, the excuse me the Phillies are very likely going to sign Nick Castellanos. They're, they're heavily involved in his pursuit right now. This is after they already gave Kyle Schwarber a four-year, $80 million contract. Guys, it, it seems to me like the Phillies are trying to slug their way out of their pitching issues. They've had for years a problem with their bullpen, and now you're looking at it, and you look at this lineup. I mean, Schwarber, Harper, Real Muto, Hoskins, and Castellanos, if it ends up Ooh. going that route, is really, really good. And so I'm wondering, where do you think the Cardinals fit into this second tier in the National League? I think all of us would agree the Mets and the Dodgers are tier one right now in the NL based on the talent that has been assembled. On paper, those are the teams. How would you fit in that second tier, though, in the National League around the Cardinals? And let's also not forget the Padres reportedly just acquired Luke Voigt from the Yankees, which National League continues to pile up. I, honestly, I think I would have, I would have the Phillies probably at the top of that second tier with the Padres right there with them. And then the next step down, I think, is a three-way tie for me between the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Brewers. I think those teams are, are eerily similar because as much as we love the Cardinals' offense, they don't have the pitching that can match the Brewers' pitching. And that's the one area that I think they exploit it with. And with the Braves, I don't know if I believe in that pitching, but they've got a damn good offense now with the acquisition of um, Chapman from the Toronto Blue or the Oakland Athletics so I would have those three a little bit below the top tier in the second tier if that makes sense I, I think I would put the Cardinals probably like in the middle of that second tier because I would probably take I, I don't know if I would take the Phillies up at the top I honestly might put the Brewers up at the top of that list their pitching's just so good when it's if it's healthy and their offense will be fine this year as well and then I take a look I, I think I would have Philadelphia maybe second in that list I might put the Cardinals just behind them. I, I think the Cardinals are better than the Padres. I, I really do. I've got do. the Padres in a different tier. I actually don't have them in the second tier. I've got the Braves, Phillies, Cardinals, Brewers, and Giants all in the second tier together. 
I've got the Padres in Tier 3 in the National League right now. And I have the Cardinals ahead of the Giants, too, just because I don't think that offense is going to be as what it was last year. I mean, they lost Chris Bryant, Buster Posey retired. They're relying on older guys. Look, the Cardinals are relying on older guys on Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnold, but those guys are superstars, and we've seen them do it. Crawford and Belt, they're not superstars. They're good players, and they've had inconsistencies in the past. I don't think their offense is going to be good. Their pitching is going to be a big question mark for me. I put them below the Cardinals. I would put the Cardinals like second or third in that second tier. Man, there's going to be a good team that misses out on the playoffs in the National League this year. Like a Pittsburgh? really good team. The Mets and the Dodgers, that's two. Braves, Phillies, Cardinals, Brewers, Giants. That's all the way up to seven teams. One of those teams that I just mentioned is probably not going to make the playoffs. You add in the Padres, that's is that eight teams right there? I mean, two of those teams that we're talking about right now from the National League will not get into the playoffs this year. It's Guys, are, are, are you concerned at all, given what we've just talked about with all of these teams? Is there any concern about the Cardinals potentially missing the playoffs, given their questions early in the season with their pitching? I think the Cardinals, if the Cardinals miss the playoffs, the, the problem for it is because they didn't beat up on the teams in the NL Central. Because you take a look at the NL West, the Padres, the Giants, and the Dodgers are going to beat up on each other. Yep. Colorado's not going to be a walk in the park. They're going to have a decent offense, so they're not going to be that that easy to just take down. Arizona's going to be bad. And then you look at the NL East, you're going to have the Phillies, you're going to have the Nationals, which are decent. You're going to have the Mets all going against each other, beating each other up. Don't rule out Miami as well. Miami's got, I know they're not a big, sexy team, but they got pitching. So it's going to come down to, can you take care of business in the NL Central? If you don't, then absolutely the Cardinals could be missing the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not even worried about taking care of business against those teams. I'm more concerned about the lack of pitching depth that can sustain a 162 schedule. Because like it or not, guys, this... This Jack Flaherty thing is starting to get suspended and drawn out, and it makes me more and more nervous as the days go by of, oh, well, he's getting a second opinion. We don't know anything, and we're not going to speculate. It makes me think that this isn't going to be a week-to-week thing. And the lack of moves from the Cardinals, if they don't make one, and the injuries to Jack Flaherty, the uncertainty with Michaelis and Hudson, yeah, there's absolutely a, a concern for me of them missing the playoffs, especially when you watch all of these other teams. I mean, right now, the National League feels like the AFC West. Because everyone looks at the Dodgers and says, my God, how are we going to compete with this? Well, we're going to have to just try and outslug them. And boom, Kyle Schwarber gets signed. Nick Castellanos gets signed. Luke Voigt gets traded for. Braves go out there and get Chapman. Like, it's just, it's just sizing up the competition. Meanwhile, the Cardinals sit there and say, well, all we got to worry about is the Brewers. I still feel good about them. I do. And that doesn't mean that it's a guaranteed lock that they're going to get into the playoffs. I just think that their depth is going to be enough for them. Like, you look at the Phillies, and I understand this this offense looks really imposing on paper. What's this defense going to be like? And that's going to exploit even further what their pitching woes are. They've got a – their rotation's fine. Their bullpen is – it should be better on paper than what it was the last few years. But you pitch in front of a defense. Like, it's a two-part – it's a, a two-pronged issue here where – okay, so Nick Castellanos now going to be in your outfield? That, that's the way that you're going to do that, this? And that's a big outfield, too. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, ju- I just don't know how great this is going to be in terms of what they actually have out there defensively, and I think that's going to hurt them. I, I really do. They might be able to outslug their way from it, and, and it ultimately won't matter. But you look at the Dodgers, the reason why they're excellent is because they've got the best of both worlds. They are really good defensively, and also all of their guys mash. You look at what the Padres were last year, though. Uh, they, they were a paper tiger. And I think that that might be what the Phillies are building here. Don't get me wrong. They've got some very good players, and I would love to have some of those guys on the Cardinals. If they acquired Nick Castellanos, I would celebrate that signing. I just don't know that the, the Phillies have the connective tissue to the roster 
that the Cardinals already have currently. I think the Phillies will be kind of like what you saw from the Reds last year, where they were that 83-win team, sure. where they had the big, sexy offense, but they weren't good defensively. So the Phillies are going to be what the Phillies were last year. I, I just, I think you guys are <laughs> yeah, underestimating what the Phillies have, though, in terms of pitching. Like, And I understand that it's uncertainty like it is for everything, but with Aaron Nola, with Wheeler, who was a Cy Young con- uh, candidate, and then with Kyle Gibson, the guy who did breaking news for a Kyle Gibson's start, and then with their bullpen additions, if they stay healthy, which, of course, is always about the ifs, that, in my opinion, is a more dangerous pitching staff than what the Cardinals have. Wheeler, Nola, Gibson. Gibson. You think that's better than what the Cardinals currently I have? I mean, those top I don't three know that com- I agree. compared to the Cardinals' top three? I would rather have, if Flaherty's healthy, Flaherty, Wayno, Mikeless, uh, Mats and Hudson. I, I would rather have the Cardinals' depth as opposed to the, the top guy that they have. Really, I get which it, is but Wheeler. I mean that's two Cy Young candidates in the Phillies. Compared and given to the one. context of it, with the Cardinals having a much better defense, I would rather have the Cardinals' pitching situation yeah. than what the uh, Phillies. And, fit, and honestly, I think Gibbs is going to take By a big a step margin. back this year too. I don't think he was very good when he got to hey, Philly last year. I think man, he was okay. He's right here. Well, we're not going to trade for him now. It's fine. We can rip on him all we want. BK would love to trade for him still. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to get into believe it or not 65780 is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not want to pass along a little bit of news the guy that i wanted mizzou to hire He's san coming? francisco's He's head coach todd golden is going to be the next head coach at the university of florida oh, florida has good. hired todd golden to be their next head coach hey murray state i think this probably means matt mcmahon the head coach at murray state or kim english, kim english? is going to be the next head coach at mizzou i think it's probably narrowed down to those two guys at this point that's speculation by me but that's my guess based on this news i think this narrowed down the path for who mizzou's next head coach is going to be I'll coming up it. next believe it or not here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. What are you doing, man? Yeah, Tebow needs to do some karaoke. Hold on. Give it a sec. You both doing it? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. You should see the looks you two are getting. I thought it was because there was a great basket score. Let's get into no. some Believe It or Not. 65780 is the error comfort service X line for Believe It or Not. Let's start out with this. Guys, believe it or not, if the Cardinals don't win the division, they will not make the playoffs this year. Uh, I think I'd believe that one. I think I'd believe that one. I mean, if you don't win that division, you're talking two wild cards, correct? Three. Three this There's year. three this year? Well, let's be honest. I mean, one of them... I mean, you're looking at three teams battling in the NL East and three teams battling in the NL West. Now, I think the Nationals are going to fall short because I don't know if they're going to have uh, the full roster pending any more moves. But you got the Braves and the Phillies battling in the NL East. You have the three teams in the NL West with the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres. And then you got Cardinals and Brewers. So I think the Cardinals could be one of those, those final teams that get in. In this scenario, I would imagine the Mets win the East, the Dodgers win the West, and the Brewers win the Central. So now it's between the Braves, Phillies, Cardinals, Giants, and Padres for three spots. I think I would have the Braves, the Giants, Cardinals as the three. And I just, for some reason, man, the Phillies are really starting to concern me. I'm not going to believe this. I think they can still. I think they'll still make the playoffs if they don't win the division. Because I look at the NL West, and I'm going with the scenario that you just laid out. I think that. Well, I'll go NL East first. I think the Braves make the playoffs. 
I could see another one of those teams getting in. Maybe that maybe it's the uh, Phillies that could get in. But then, like, I look at the West. I'm not sold on the Giants, and I'm not really sold on the Padres either. One of those two will get a wild card spot. So basically it comes down to who's going to be that team that knocks you out. Is it going to be Philly, San Diego, or San Francisco? I'm not sold on those teams. I think the Cardinals are better, so I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to believe this either. I think the Cardinals would still make the playoffs, even if they don't win the division. I think that they would end up with one of those three wild card spots. Next one up, believe it or not, Jordan Bennington will be traded before the start of next season. Man, I, I hate to say this, but I think I might believe this one. I mean... And this is nothing on Bennington because I do think he can get back to his form. But I, I just think they're really concerned about losing Billy Huso because you might have something. Huso, of course, was the guy in the system that was higher up than Bennington. And, and Finnish goaltenders seem to have a lot of success. You're talking Yusei Saros, Tuka Rask, Pekarine. I, I'm 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 gonna believe this one because I think they view Billy Huso as the better goaltender, and Billy Huso might be a cheaper goaltender to give the Blues more of an opportunity to get bigger players. So I might believe this one by the off season. I think I'm gonna believe this too, and it would probably be in the off season that this occurs. I I, I don't think there's any mistake that Jordan Bennington's name all of a sudden just popped up into the trade rumor mill. So I think the Blues are probably doing what Alex just mentioned, where it's probably gonna see if they can ship him out, and then maybe they can get Huso on that bridge kind of deal like they did with Bennington the first time after he won the Stanley Cup to gave him, I think it was like two years and like $8 million. Maybe you do something similar. Maybe it is a little bit longer term. Maybe it's like three years. But, yeah, I, I think the writing might be on the wall that Bender might be out. I think I'm with you guys. I, I think I'm going to believe this. And it, it really, for me, comes down to can they find a suitor for him? Are Edmonton or Toronto willing to take on that contract? Are they that desperate to go out there and get their goalie? I think the Blues believe they'd be fine with Ville Husso and Charlie Lindgren next year. And frankly, I think they would be fine with Husso and Lindgren next year. And part of that is it, it becomes a conversation about the rookie quarterback contracts in the NFL. You can build so much better around those guys because they're not taking up $35 million of your cap space. It's the same thing here. If you're paying Ville Husso and Charlie Lindgren a combined $5 million next year, as opposed to uh, having to pay Bennington the six or whatever and having to pay a backup goalie two to three. I mean, it just totally changes the way that you're able to build around them. There's your spot in that cap spot for your next defenseman. There's your $5 million that you can go get a pro for off. And then you look up front, like if they're able to trade off a guy like uh, Scandella and you don't bring back, just out of an example, David Perron, well, there's seven more million dollars. Guess what? That could go towards a guy like Matthew Kachuk, and suddenly you're looking at this team, and you're like, okay, I understand you might have a little bit of a downgrade for Bennington to Huso, but I was able to get Provorov. I was able to go get a Matthew Kachuk. I like the look of that team a lot better suddenly, so I think I believe it. It just comes down to whether or not they can convince somebody to take on that contract for him. 65780 is the air cover service X line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, we will see a team uh, seeded 13 or below pull off another upset today. 13 seed or below? So you're looking at Montana State, Yale, Delaware, Chattanooga. Yeah, well, that ain't Cal happening. Cal State Fullerton, Wright State, or Colgate. I mean, one of those teams. I mean, obviously Chattanooga is the one to play here, right? Guys, if they do, I might cry. Here's the thing. 
I got a seven game parlay right now, and I don't have any of those teams winning, so I am not believing this because <laughs> that will not happen. I'm not you putting have it in a the atmosphere. Seven team parlay? Yep, today? I got a seven pick parlay right now, and if it cashes out, boys, my goodness. What are the odds on this? Uh, Plus 15,514. So wow. You bet 10 to win like $1,500? I, I bet 5 bucks and I win $780. <laughs> My God. And watch out, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, because I am feeling hot, hot, hot right now. By no, the way, no. I cashed out because I bet on Jacksonville State and they're. Get your five cents or whatever it was. They're issuing the bed right now. Hey, I got three bucks back. They're, so. they're now down uh, 39 to 27. Yeah, they're I'm, issuing the bed. I'm going to believe this, though. I think we're going to see one of these upsets. I, I like Colgate over to Wisconsin. I wouldn't be stunned if Yale pulled something off over Purdue. And then the other one that, and I hate saying it, but it could be Chattanooga. Okay, I, I saw them play. I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to hang with Illinois. Life. But Illinois is one of those teams. I, I found a statistic, and I, I think I sent it to you guys. They're one of those teams that it lose more games based on runs that they give up. They, for some reason, in every game they play, they have one of those runs that lasts like 10 minutes where they get outscored. It's like 25 to 2 or something crazy. So that could happen. They start to feel the pressure. It may mount on them. They have a lot of experience. They're older than three NBA teams, so they should be Dang. fine that way. But I don't know. I, I could see it. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's a possibility. Boys, believe it or not, Trevor Story could be a Cardinal. John Heyman one minute ago. Trevor Story now choosing one of four teams soon. Giants, Red Sox. Two others remain in the mix, prioritizing winning, apparently considering a short-term positional move. I'm stunned he didn't mention the race. Giants, Red Sox, and two other teams seriously in the mix. Yep. Do you believe the Cardinals are one of those two teams? Nope. I do not. I believe it because I, I, I truly think do you that. Think the, do you think the Rockies are one of those teams? No. You know better than that. The I guy, mean, they just signed Chris Bryant. Yeah, but they don't. If it's a one-year deal, they might have interest. Yeah. Granted, I, I thought that about Bryant. He got he's seven. He's not going to so. have, though. Why would Trevor Story want to go back there? He was Home. dying to get out of there. Yeah, I mean, no. because it's a, a one-year deal. I'm going to believe it's this one. in Colorado. You can put up some big-time numbers when you're fully healthy and I'm get gonna, traded at the deadline. I'm going to believe this one because I, I, I think they truly are in on these these Oakland Athletics pitchers, and, and I think Paul DeYoung is going to have to be one of those pieces for it. I, I'm not going to believe this. I, the other two teams, I would not be stunned because they always seem to be involved in every free agent. I, I, it, at least. I know. Uh, I think it's Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay might be one of those teams. If they had actual interest in Freeman, which I don't know how true it is, you get story on a one-year deal, that fits what Tampa Bay would want to do. It's got to be the Yankees in on this, right? Yeah, Yankees are probably another one because we've heard that the, Play they believe that they're base. getting someone. Yeah, that would make sense. They're prob they probably are the other team. Keep them out of Boston, too. Yeah. I'm not believing. I don't think the Cardinals are involved in that. Market. I could also see the Astros maybe being involved in something like this. Correa. I mean, if they can't get Correa, Correa. I, I think they are too. But if they can't get I still, him, maybe I still they would wouldn't make rule sense. out Seattle as well. I know Seattle wanted upgrade and they haven't really done a whole lot. They could get Hell, him the on Phillies. a one-year deal. The Phillies yeah. could be involved in this as well yeah. if they want to keep upgrading that offense and he's willing to make a position switch. So that that, that would be somebody else. I say all that. Say this. No, I, I'm not believing this at all. I do not think that the Cardinals are going to end up getting Trevor Story. How the hell did we get here? Because last year, I or in the offseason, I was the one that was saying no way that's possible and he was the one thinking that it was a real possibility. I wish it I wish it would happen. I think they deal. should do it. I think they absolutely, especially if he's willing to do a short-term contract, I would absolutely sign Trevor Story this offseason to have, a one-year $20 million deal. It is the biggest hole on this team. They do not have a shortstop answer for at least the next three to five years. And I I don't even know if Mason wins that guy. No, Trey Turner is. so young is. in his development, but Trey okay. Turner is. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, very excited to have Craig Button, NHL analyst for TSN, on the show. We're going to ask him what he's hearing on the Blues, who he thinks could be their answer on the blue line. Talk to Craig Button next here on 101 ESPN.
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live out of Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. We'll be here until 2 o'clock. Then the fast lane takes over, broadcasting live from 2 to 6. It's day 2 of the NCAA tournament. We're watching all the action together out here at Max in Alton. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk more about the NHL trade deadline with our friend Craig Button, NHL analyst for TSN. Follow him on Twitter. He's at Craig J. Button. Craig, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Uh, Doing really well. Thrilled to have you on today to talk about some of this news that we've been sorting through with the Blues. Uh, The big story yesterday here in St. Louis, Craig, I'm sure you've seen it. Frank Saravalli reported that the Blues have been shopping around or at least uh, gauging interest from other teams on Jordan Bennington and whether or not there would be a taker for his contract with five years remaining on it. What do you make of seeing that news? And do you think there's anybody that would actually take on that deal at this point in time? I don't think at this point in time, I think that Doug Armstrong is going to probe and he's going to examine if there's a team that might be interested. I mean, Doug is very astute and Doug is listening and watching teams that uh, feel that they have goaltending issues. So, you know, he's going to, he's going to explore it and try to understand what does it mean? And is there something that's reasonable? But I see that as more of an off season move. I mean, uh, you've got to create some cap space, uh, you gotta you gotta look at uh, the scenario with respect to uh, you know the off season. You know when you got more room, what it means. You know what you're doing uh, with other players in your organization, and and I think you have a bigger. I think you have I think you have more teams in the off season that can do it. But at this point in time, there's nothing wrong with exploring it, and there's nothing wrong uh, considering Billy Russo has has assumed uh, the role of number one right now, and so. You know, you examine it, but for me, I think there's a lot more teams who would be interested in the off season. And uh, you know, Doug, but Doug, Doug's uh, Doug's shrewd and he's cunning, and those are two things I think are really, really important to be a good GM in any sport. And he looks around and goes, "Oh, you got a goaltending problem? I might be able to help you out." You know, and uh, but I don't see anybody biting at this point in time either. I'm with you on that one, Craig, but what was really interesting about that is that I know a lot of people see it and say, oh, well, he's moving on from Bennington because he struggled, but I think could this be more of Doug Armstrong and his staff looking at the scenario and saying, man, we just can't afford to lose Ville Husso? Well, it, I, I think there's a number of factors. I mean, it's Ville Husso. Uh, it, it's cap considerations, you know, with what, what, what's going to cost you to keep Ville Husso. It's, uh, it's, it's Jordan Bennington's contract. And you also have Joe Hoffer in, 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 in the system. Joe Hoffer, to me, is a really good prospect and somebody that I think is going to be a real solid NHL goaltender, if not in time, a really good number one goaltender. So you, you have all these different scenarios playing out within your organization that allow you to explore these types of things. And, you know, I, I've always said this, you know, people talk about contracts and everything, and I don't think there's ever such thing as a bad contract if, if you can trade it. And I'm not suggesting that Jordan Bennington's contract is bad. All I'm saying is, is that for the for the St. Louis Blues, where do you where do you want to create some cap space to be able to do some other things to strengthen your team? You got to look at all areas. You got to examine all possibilities. This is just one of them. 
Craig, following up on that, because you mentioned Joel Hofer, and I've heard the same thing, that he's a big-time prospect, and teams have called about it, and, of course, the Blues really like him. Is there a big difference between Joel Hofer and Colton Ellis? Because he's another goaltender in the Blues system that they really like. Yeah, I mean, so what you want in the system is that you want competition. And, listen, having a choice of having more good prospects than less, you want more. So that's really good. Now, Colton Ellis, is a, I think, is a really good, solid goaltender. I think he's a good prospect. I think Holt is better. So, you know, that's how you got to assess it. And, you know, if I'm an NHL team and, and I'm getting a call on Jordan Bennington or Doug's exploring it, I might say, what about Joe Holt? Like, you know, what, you know about that. I, I don't think Colton Ellis is at that point yet. Now, would there be interest? Perhaps. But I, I, I think Holt was ahead of him. And, 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 and I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not kind of – you know, wishy-washy on that. I think he's clearly ahead of Colton Ellis. But I think Colton Ellis is a, is, a, is, a, is a good prospect. He needs more. He needs more time to really ascertain, is he good enough to be part of your goaltending tandem in the NHL? We're talking to Craig Button, NHL analyst for TSN. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Craig, I did want to ask you about what the Blues are likely to do at the deadline because uh, the Bennington conversation, I, I tend to agree with you. I think we're all on the same page here as well. That feels more like they're setting something up potentially for the offseason than something that's likely to get done by Monday afternoon. But what do you think the Blues are likely to do by Monday afternoon? We've been talking about the defenseman market for seemingly months now. Uh, where do you think they go? Well, if I go back, and, I, and, and you can go back as well, you know, the 2019 Stanley Cup champion, you know, look at the blue line that they had. It's a very different blue line now. And so when you, when you start to consider the composition of that blue line and how hard they were to play against, uh, it's a different blue line. And, and, you know, one of the things that the St. Louis Blues did exceptionally well en route to winning the Stanley Cup is they defended the interior outstanding, like in an outstanding fashion. Well, when you have smaller defensemen, it's not as easy to defend the interior, and they struggled with that. And I think if they can go find a weighty defenseman, somebody with some size and bulk, you know, and, and you know, we see Ben Sherratt move, we see Josh Manson move. Well, there's other players out there. there I mean, we, we know Hampus Lindholm is, is, a, is moving into unrestricted free agency. He's out there. But, you know, exploring other options and, and, and understanding what else could be out there with respect to helping our team. But I don't think it's a defenseman that can help them. I think it's a specific style and type of defenseman, somebody with weight and somebody with size. I mean, one of the things the Blues were great at, I mean, you talk about the length. They were in your space. And the playoffs now become about, you know, taking space and, and shrinking it. And the Blues did it exceptionally well in route to the Stanley Cup. But you need a certain type of defenseman to, to be able to, you know, expand in that area and make it harder on opponents. That's the area, for me, looking from the outside in, that's the area that I would be working hard to try to address. That's exactly like, what I'll we've been talking example. about. Like, like, yeah, I don't know if Adam Larson's available. I mean, the Seattle Kraken are terrible. They're a terrible team, right? I know Adam Larson went there and signed a contract. I know he's got term left. It's $4 million a year, which is reasonable. If I could get Adam Larson on my team, I'd be all over that. Are there any other names? You mentioned Lindholm. We've talked about him. You mentioned Larson there. Are there any other names that fit that criteria that you think will be available by Monday's deadline? Well, see, this is the thing, too. Like, like I don't know who's available. I, I, don't, I don't operate in the inside game. 
that I know as a manager, it's your job to find out if there's somebody that interests you, is that player available and what is the price of being of that player? I just mentioned Adam Larson. I don't know if he's available, but I know that I, like that's a player that fits what I just described. I'll tell you another player. I don't know if he's available, but he played on the Stanley Cup champion in 2019. He's just back from a season-long injury, won a Stanley Cup, went to the Stanley Cup final last year, and that's Joel Edmondson. There's another guy. I don't know if he's available, but I know that those two guys fit the bill of what I'm looking for. So I'll make the call and find out what it is. And and, and in Joel's case, you want to make sure that he's healthy and that he can get through the grind of, of of a long playoff run. But I see the St. Louis Blues. There's two teams one in the East and one in the West, that I say, you better keep your eye on them because they're two teams that could be making a lot of noise and, 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 and could very well find their way right into, into serious contending status. That's Pittsburgh in the East, St. Louis in the West. And, Craig, you know, we've talked about all of these names, and the ones that always seem to come up are the ones that, that have that term along with the trade. And I love the Adam Larson one that you brought up. That's kind of not even a guy that I thought about. But what about two players that have been in the rumor mill, a Jacob Chikrin from Arizona or an Ivan Provorov from Philly? Do either of those guys move the needle for you, and does that make sense for Doug to go that big? Okay, that's a whole different deal. Okay, and, and you just nailed it, to go that big. Let me just see. You got you got a 25 year old defenseman, and you got a 24 year old defenseman. Two really good defensemen. Chikrin is in an awful situation in Arizona. Provorov is in an awful situation in Philadelphia. I'd be phoning every day. I'd be phoning Chuck Fletcher and Bill Armstrong every day to find out what the cost is to get those guys. Those guys have good contracts. They're really good players, and they're only going to be that much better once they get a supporting cast around them. And so. To me, I'm always interested in adding quality, quality, quality. And when you're talking about Provorov and Chikrin, that's quality. Now, the, the, those aren't rentals. Those aren't anything like that. So if you're talking about those guys, you better be ready to talk about quality. And, when you, again, those guys are worth the discussion at every point in turn. And you look at Provorov, I mean, the Philadelphia Flyers are a disaster. I mean, they, they're, they're really a, a, a zero-sum team. They got nothing. And I don't see a bright future for them. I think they've got to do a lot of massive changes in there. And if, if, if they're going to throw Provorov overboard, I'll have, a, I'll have a life raft there ready to catch him. Craig Button is our guest for just another minute or two here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Craig, final thing that I wanted to ask you about was some of these lower-tier names that have been thrown around for the Blues. Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic, put together his list of the guys that make the most sense, that are the most likely that they end up here in St. Louis. I want to throw these names at you, and I want to get your thoughts on if you think this is the market that makes sense for them. He said Carson Soucy, Nick Letty, Jacob Middleton, and Brendan Dillon. When you hear those names as possibilities for the Blues, do they fit that criteria that you were mentioning earlier in your mind? Well, yeah, Brendan Dillon falls into the Edmonton Larson category. He's got term left on his contract. And to me, you, you get a player that's going to help you now and into the future. And to me, he stands out above all those other guys, clearly stands out above them. Uh, you know, Nick Letty, uh, you, you look at Nick, he's a really good skater. He's a player that's been in the conference final the last two years with the New York Islanders. So he, he's been deep in the playoffs, was with the Blackhawks. We know his background. He, he would fit your team in a different way. He's not one of those big weighty defensemen, but he would fit your team in, 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 in a much, much different way. Carson Soucy, you know, playing in Minnesota, he showed some real promise. 
you know, the uh, the Seattle Kraken were looking at him as a as a player that they thought that would be really somebody that could come in and anchor the blue line. He really hasn't found his footing there. So I think that like uh, the price might not be high. You're you're probably betting on him coming in and replicating a little bit of what he did in Minnesota. I mean. I mean, St. Louis has a really strong coaching staff. So, you know, there's a belief there that you can get them back to that level. So the price probably, you know, for Letty and, and for Susie probably wouldn't be high. I think it would be a lot higher for Brendan Dillon. Who, who was the other defenseman? Just quickly. Jacob Middleton from, from San Jose. Yeah, 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 nah, nah. I mean, he's big. He fits the criteria in height and weight. Problem is he's not a very good player. I love that, Craig. Craig, final one, and we really appreciate your time. This is great stuff with you. As much as we're talking about this trade deadline for the Blues, and we've talked about all of these names, if you're Doug Armstrong, are you also looking at the potential of what could happen in the offseason of maybe more defensemen available? And then, of course, you know the, the golden goose for the Blues, and that would be the Matthew Kachuk. Wow, okay. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess you can always dream in technicolor. You know, and I know Matthew Kachuk at the end of this year is one year removed from free agency. Uh, you know, the bottom line is for me, I mean, he's a top line player. He's one of the, he's a unique player. And yeah, we all make the ties to St. Louis and we, we make ties to any type of place where, where players may be from and where he would fit. I also know this. I also know that Matthew Kachuk is an integral part of the Calgary Flames. The Calgary Flames love him. And unless Matthew Kachuk is dead set on leaving uh, the Calgary Flames, then I, I, I think it is, uh, you, you know, you are dreaming big. And there's nothing wrong with dreaming big. I don't see it as realistic. Now, I might be wrong, but that's how I see it. Now, I go to the next step when you look at defensemen. You know, we talked about Provorov and we talked about Chickering. That's a different type of, uh, of deal you could do right now. But, you know, again, there's no set time on which you can always be looking to the future and not losing sight of the present and vice versa to try to improve your team. And, and, you, and you just mentioned it earlier when we were talking about Bennington. You know, a lot of seeds get planted right now for off-season moves. And when you get to the off-season, there's a lot more room, uh, salary cap-wise. There's also a lot more disappointment because teams now that had real serious aspirations have fallen short, whether it be not getting into the playoffs, whether falling short in the playoffs, so opportunity to, to make transactions is much greater in the offseason. But the seeds start to get planted now. So that opportunity uh, to explore more of those scenarios uh, are going to be present after Monday, not before Monday. You're not going to find better analysis anywhere than right there with Craig Button, NHL analyst for TSM. Give him a follow on Twitter. He's at Craig J. Button. Craig, we always appreciate the time. I know you're a busy man, especially this close to the trade deadline. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, always my pleasure to join you guys. Always my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Craig Button here on 101 ESPN. So, uh, going to go ahead and say he's not a fan of Jacob Middleton. <laughs> that that was almost as good as the comment from Craig Button on Zdeno Chara in the athletic piece when they said Zdeno Chara, nope.
can't skate. <laughs> can't like, play. Grant, I would I would appreciate if you could just clip that answer on Jacob Middleton so we can use that a little bit later on in the show because BK's life just got shut down with Middleton. Oh, Jacob Middleton, he was the guy? Yeah, oh, it, no, yeah, not, nah, just, nah, not, nah, not a good player. Nah, not a good player nah, is the way he framed nah. it. <laughs> He's just got a great mustache, and that's about it. But I, I find it fascinating. I, I mean, as much as we talk about all of these players that are available – he goes back to what we've talked so much about, of an identity of a defenseman rather than going after a name of a defenseman. Yep. And that's where I, and I don't know if Provorov matches that because Jeremy Rutherford had a great piece in the, art, in the Athletic earlier today just talking about the synopsis from the Philly side of, of Provorov. And, and look, it's a guy who, who might be a little mentally checked out in Philly who hasn't been living up to the potential that Philly's been hoping, but you're also talking about a player who's been playing in a bad system with the Philadelphia Flyers. He's a top defenseman if you can go after him. That seems to be the, the, the top echelon player, but it's not so much you're going after the name anymore. As Craig mentioned, you're more going after the style of defenseman that matches the Blues' needs. Provorov sounds to me, when I read about his situation in Philly and the way that fans view him and the way that maybe the team views him, it sounds to me like they had a similar trajectory in mind for Provorov that the Blues had for Colton Pareko. And it, it hasn't quite met those expectations for Provorov. And I think it, it might be pretty similar yeah. in the way that Blues fans, at least some, view Colton Pareko. You put those two together. I, I think it might go well. I think it might go well for both of them. And it could resurrect what the previous aspirations were. So I, I, he makes a ton of sense. The term, everything about it, I just wonder, similar to the Bennington conversation, is that something that's more likely to happen in the offseason than it is to happen by Monday afternoon? And Craig's right. You're planting the seeds right now, and that's what all general managers are doing. But also don't discount the fact uh, of having a, a native um, a native Russian on a team with other Russians. And I don't know. I'd have to look at how many Russians are on that uh, Philadelphia Flyers team. I don't think there's many, if any, considering what the Blues would have. And look at what Vladdy went through in the offseason of wanting to be traded. And then you bring in a Pavel Buchnevich and Klim Kostin's here, Torpchenko's here, and things seem to be a Barbie. lot better. Barbashev was here. So, so I mean, if you get a, Ivan Provorov, who, who is from Yaroslav, Russia, who is the same spot that Vladdy Tarasenko's from, you might be able to change the... Uh, the emotions of a player if you bring him into a locker room that one's competing and two, you have some of the similarities around with him. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, what is the rationale to keep Juan Yepes down in AAA? It sounds like that might be the Cardinals' plan to start the season. We'll talk about it coming up at the top of the hour of the Junk Drawer, though, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Let's dive into the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Last night, I got to see Alex Ferrario. Oh, whoa. Hey, what is what, that? On pre and post? I mean, what, I, what, what happened? I was phenomenal on pre and post game last night for Blues Hockey. I'm going to retweet this video. Going to retweet your own video? Last night, and it's at BK Sports Talk on Twitter. Alex has talked numerous times about how when he gets to a hotel, an Airbnb, the first thing he does is he goes to his bedroom, he checks the bed, pulls off the sheets, pulls off the comforter, throws off the pillows, and makes sure there's no bed bugs. I have never seen a man that was more in tune with exactly what he was trying to accomplish than Alex Ferrario last night as he was checking for bed bugs in our Airbnb. And guess what? I booked the right place. No bed bugs. 
No bed bugs last night, according to our exterminator, Alex Ferrario. You know what? You both are very welcome. By the way, I didn't check the couch for you, T-Bone, so I hope you didn't have any bed bugs there. Tanner was the perfect size for our couch Tanner, last night. Honestly, this couch, like, Tanner fit, like, it looked like a coffin. Like, Tanner just fit in it perfectly, head to the top part, feet to the bottom part, but... I do feel dead, so yeah. <laughs> hey, man, look. If there's one thing I want people to do, it's I want them to be safe wherever they go and stay the night, whether it's an Airbnb, whether it's a hotel, motel, Holiday to, Inn, or see, maybe it's BK's house. If you're going to stay over for one night, you, you got to make sure you don't have bed bugs. You seem to enjoy that a little too much oh, last man. night. Like, you know what the disappointing You were giddy about it. You know what the disappointing part is? People weren't able to see me in action, and the magic, the magic that comes with checking bed bugs that people don't know is that when the headboard's attached to the wall, you think that, well, we're good. You can't get back here. That's where the bed bugs are at the most. And you can lift the headboard off and then check behind it. I'm just saying, man, I had one bad experience where I found bed bugs, and I've never changed since. The, You guys know how much I love looking up the nerdiest of nerdy statistics for baseball, hockey, whatever, right? That, that's, that is my love language. Mm-hmm. Alex's love language is bed bugs. Yep. He loves talking and learning and knowing everything there is to know about bed bugs and how to get rid of them, how to check for them. I have the video that he put together was the greatest piece of content he has ever produced. And mind you, that it was, was at 90 12 seconds o'clock. that should be nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. We did that at 12 o'clock. That was like night. a 12. Yeah, T-Bone, you don't really Holy remember cow. much past 9 o'clock. But yeah, 12 o'clock. And you know what? Props to my father, Ernie, because he's taught me well. If there's one thing that man taught me, two things. It's respect women and know how to find bed bugs. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, who was the big spoon? BK or Ferrario? Two different beds, ladies and gentlemen. Two different beds. We were good to go. Didn't have to worry about that. Tanner, why does your jaw hurt today? I have no idea. <laughs> I seriously have no. It seriously feels like I got punched, T-bone, and I don't know what happened. T Bone, explain to us. The, and I don't think I got punched. Explain to us the trajectory of, of how went last night happened because, like you, you remember everything, but there's a 30 minute hole that <laughs> you a, just there, forgot. There, it's I like me- the hangover. So, yeah, we we were outside our our Airbnb had like a little patio. We were out there. I remember us coming in. I know you guys were like, oh, I'm old. I gotta go to bed. And that, next thing I know, 145 in the morning. It, it was like 1:30, and then I don't remember what happened. Next thing I know, it was two o'clock. <laughs> And I have no idea what I, occurred. I've never, I've never met somebody like usually you hear somebody that doesn't remember what happened at a certain time until they wake up the next morning. I've never heard of somebody who, who just loses 30, a period yeah, of time. <laughs> Thirty minutes. Like, are you sure you're not like, uh, like what's that called? Narcolepsy, where you fall asleep. And are you sure you're not like Mr. Bean or something, where I you mean, fall it, asleep? It's out of possible. It, it was just random because, like, I seriously have no idea. But I think I was awake. I'm pretty sure I was awake because I remember getting up, walking around a little bit, going back outside to go get something, and then going to the bathroom and getting ready for bed. So I don't know what happened in those. 30 minutes might be when I got punched by somebody, <laughs> but the jaw might hurt because of the bed bugs. Again, I didn't check your, uh, I didn't check your couch. So seriously, I feel like I've been punched. Did, we need to check in. On you that. did tick me off a little last night. Yeah, a lot of Al- Alex, I know you jokes flying me. around. Alex was two seconds away from throwing Tanner off of our balcony last night. It was very two close. seconds away from it. It, it was, was very close. Absolutely in play. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. A quick update from around the NCAA tournament on some of the scores that we have right now. Loyola of Chicago is getting beat pretty good. Ohio State up ten points in that one. Six minutes to play. Forty-two thirty-two. Ohio State up on Loyola. Auburn has now just started to, to take this lead and run with it. They're up 55 to 33 against Jacksonville State. Unbeaten. Texas Texas Tech up big early, uh-huh. 26 to 9 against Montana State. That's and the start early of- on just tipped off. Purdue is up 8 to 4 against Yale in the 
314 Texas Tech is leg one of my seven-leg parlay, boys. Oh my gosh. Let's happy, go. Happy to hear that's going well for Let's you, buddy. Let's go. Coming up next, what's the rationale to keep Juan Yepes down in AAA? Apparently there is one. I'm going to have to try to understand it. We'll do that next here on 101 ESPN. So what's the rationale to keep Juan Yepes down in AAA? That's the question that I've got. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll get back into the conversation surrounding Jordan Bennington. If you missed it yesterday, there was a report that emerged that apparently the Blues are at least exploring what is out there for Jordan Bennington. We'll get more into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But, guys, I was surprised this morning as I woke up and – uh, started my morning reading, and I saw this from Katie Wu. She said, the most prevalent question is how Corey Dickerson's presence is going to affect the playing time of Lars Newtbar. The Cardinals believe that Newtbar would benefit from seeing consistent at-bats. The DH and the possibility of expanded rosters to open the season, though, allow for plenty of room for a fifth outfielder. So you could have both Newtbar and Dickerson on the big league club. Even though the club is high on both Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman, the two prospects are likely to open the season in AAA. Gorman is expected to debut this season, and Yepes will likely join the big league club if he can continue producing the numbers that led to his breakout season in 2021. The big quote there, although the club is both high on Yepes and Gorman, they are likely to open the season in AAA. I don't think that's a surprise for Gorman. I think that was always our expectation was that he would start down in AAA unless he just had a crazy spring. And with it being such a shortened spring training, I don't think he's going to have that opportunity to be able to do that. So Yepes is where I want to focus this conversation. I don't understand this because if you want him, if the, if the belief is he just needs to get consistent at bats. Okay. I can see how that would be. That would make sense for him down in AAA. But whenever you bring him up, whether it be now or a month from now, the role is going to be the same. Juan Yepes is a DH. That's it. He's not playing first base. That's the only other spot he can play because you have a gold glover there and Paul, uh, Paul Goldschmidt. He's not moving. So he's going to be a DH, and he's a right-handed DH when you have Corey Dickerson on this roster, and that's not changing either. He's going to be your left-handed bat there. So what exactly changes between now and May or June when you would potentially bring up Juan Yepes? His role is always going to be very limited on the big league club, but he can help you. He makes your team better by being here than he does by putting him back down in AAA. I guess I'm just at a loss for why they would potentially go this route when he's a guy who, by virtue of being on the big league club, makes your team better on opening day when you're going to need more offense because your pitching is already taking some hits early in the season. I really don't understand this. It's not, a, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I'm trying to understand the rationale behind it. Yeah, because it's not like Juan Yepes blows people away with his defense. What you talk about with Juan Yepes is the bat. That's why he made the most sense as a DH and then a backup first baseman for this team. I, I'm with you. I, I don't understand it, and I, I, I'm starting to get a little concerned with this. And I told you guys this morning, it's starting to feel like Juan Yepes is going through the Luke Voigt slash Patrick Wisdom treatment to where everything is telling you that this guy needs to be up with the big leagues. Patrick Wisdom was winning the championship with the AAA Memphis Redbirds. Luke Voigt was just crushing balls for Memphis. And for some reason, they just never wanted to bring him up. Now, Luke Voigt got that opportunity and he played a little bit when they were going through that first base kerfuffle, but then they decided to trade him away. 
I'm really concerned that Juan Yepes is falling into this trap. And we talked yesterday of are the Cardinals suffering from prospects past in terms of not willing to move pieces to upgrade? Yeah. I'm worried a Juan Yepes is in purgatory right now. If you put him in, Mem- in Memphis this year, you know what? Great for him. He's going to get more at-bats, and he's going to tear up AAA like he tore it up last year and in the Arizona Fall but League. there's nothing left for him to prove there. I and understand it's the that. Same, like, for me, I think he's in the same spot now as Lars Noop. Who... There's nothing left for him to prove. Yeah, but they have defense from Lars Nupar. Juan Yepes, they don't have the defense from. But you don't need it. Oh, I know you don't need it. That's what's frustrating about it. And that's that's what I don't understand is, like, if Luke Voigt was in the current situation, I firmly believe the Cardinals would have found a spot for him. At least I want to believe that they would have because now they've got the DH, and he would have been your right-handed option as a designated hitter going into this season. And that's just how I assumed they would view Juan Juan Yepes is, Okay, we've got our left-handed options with Dickerson and Newpar. We've also got a right-handed option with Juan Yepes. If they don't have him on the opening day roster, I don't know who's taking that spot. Like, I went up and down the roster today trying to figure this out. Are they going to put Brendan Donovan on the big league roster over Juan Yepes? I think they're going to sign somebody else. Like, I feel like this screams Albert Pujols for the Cardinals because why would you keep Brendan Donovan up, who's an infielder, and you've got all of these infielders right now? But I also... As much as I, we talked yesterday about Corey Dickerson and you like the bat, you brought in another outfielder and you have five outfielders now on your team. So maybe they do review Brendan Donovan as that option. But if you're going to go Brendan Donovan, why not keep Nolan Gorman up here? Why not let Nolan Gorman get the reps and play him at second base? Because you just signed your left-handed DH. So he's not going to get at bats as your left-handed DH option. He's not going to start every day at second base. I actually like... At this point, I think the best thing is for them to put Nolan Gorman down in oh, AAA I agree, to start 100%. the year. Like, I, I do not think that they are making a, a mistake in that regard. But what's the benefit of Brendan Donovan? I don't know. Uh, honestly, I, I, I mean, other than because you of- just don't view him as a legit prospect, and so him coming up and it sounds bad to say, but it's the same thing that they used to do with their long relief role where you just have a guy on the roster what who's they making a million bucks, and Rondone if they year. waste away, they waste away. It's not a huge deal. And I think that might be the way that they view it with Brendan Donovan, but he's also a lefty. So you've already got two lefty bats coming off of your bench. Wouldn't you want a right-handed option there? I I think maybe what you said is is right, Alex. Maybe they're going to go sign another guy. And I I would kind of be surprised by it. I think they're done adding to this roster, but... There's yeah, really the, nothing else that makes sense. No, There's no doesn't. other option that makes sense to me. But Pujol seems like a money grab opportunity to where you're grabbing that nostalgia right now, and he's on the market. He's a right-handed bat. Of course, you got the history in St. Louis. He hits the hell out of lefties. Can we? Can I bring up one more tinfoil theory? What if your report that you brought up earlier, and, and I struck it down, what if maybe the Cardinals are in on Trevor's story? I'm not fist bumping it. I don't think that's true. I, I don't either. Well, but you got to get a picture, though. If you're in on these conversations with Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya, I, I would imagine that as much as you'd be looking at trading a Lars Newbar, you'd be trading a Paul DeYoung because he doesn't have a spot on your team. Maybe. And if and if Trevor Story's willing to sign a one-year deal, you got your shortstop, and then you sign that bat, and yeah. you could continue to grow your prospects. I just don't. Are they really going to sign no. Trevor Story to twenty million dollars and add ten million dollars with? 
uh, Manaya, and you, so you're adding $30 million to your payroll when they're already saying they were cash strapped? Like, but maybe it's not I don't know. Maybe it's not $20 million for Trevor Story. Maybe you're talking $15 million for Trevor Story. I mean, it, if John Heyman's report is true, which I always take that with a grain of salt. If there's four teams in on him, though, I have to imagine he's still going to get a high salary, even if it's a short-term but, deal. But if you're going short-term in your Trevor Story, I feel like you're going to be doing what Chuck, Jack Peterson did, where you're going to go where you want to be. You're going to go where you have a friend. Jock Peterson with Brandon But Jock's in a very different spot to me because Jock knows exactly what kind of player he is now. He's going to be Trevor, a mercenary where every Trevor's year he's signing a one-year $6 to $10 million deal, and that's just the role that he's going to be in as a left-handed bat who only plays against right-handed pitching. Trevor Story's trying to do what we saw, what, three, four, five years ago now with Josh Donaldson, where he signed that one-year deal as a pillow deal to get himself back, get healthy, and then sign that big contract the next offseason. That's where Trevor Story's at right now in his career. He's trying to rebound right now. Yeah, yeah he, he's trying to get that big contract, but it's just probably not this year because of the way things played out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know where the Cardinals go with the Yepes thing because I, I found that kind of stunning that he's a guy that's going to go down to the minors. And it's not like he has splits that you'd want him to be, quote-unquote, working on. You know, he, he's, a reverse, he's actually a reverse split guy. He hits right-handed pitching. Very well, and, and I agree. I would think you'd want a right-handed bat coming off the bench with a little bit of pop. I don't, like, right now, the way I project the lineup, Sosa's on the bench because I think Young's going to get first crack at it, but he's not really a power guy. You would think you'd want a guy that has a little bit of pop in his bat from the right side, and that's where I thought Yepes would be. I think maybe they are going to go sign somebody. I, I don't think it's going to be in the, like, Trevor Story one twenty million. million, maybe not even the pool holes range. It might be someone that it's, like, a one-year, like, $1 million deal, $2 million deal, a Corey Dickerson type but maybe from the right side. This report from Katie Wu of The Athletic, if you missed it, is that the Cardinals are expecting Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman to start the season down in AAA, and at some point they will join the big league club. I just think it raises more questions than it answers. I think that, that now there is another roster spot that we weren't previously looking at that very well may be open for the Cardinals, and I just wonder what, how they're going to be able to fill that. So uh, there, there's going to certainly be more as this develops, and we will be keeping our eyes on that. An update from the NCAA tournament. Ohio State looking like they're going to be able to take down Loyola of Chicago in the first round. Ohio State up 50-39 to 39 in that one. Auburn still up by 16 against Jacksonville State, 58-42. to 42, About 10 minutes to go in that game. Texas Tech right now up 33-17, to 17, Alex. Good news for Let's your seven-leg parlay. Uh, going to be a Eight great comeback. Eight minutes left in the first Shut half it, man. for Texas Tech. And Purdue currently up 25-16 to 16 against Yale. About 10 minutes to go in the first half in that one as well. Coming one, up, one trade deadline update for you. Brandon Hagel apparently from the Chicago Blackhawks, a, a third, fourth-line player. It sounds like he's going to be traded, and there's some reports now that he could be traded at Tampa Bay. Interesting. So Tampa Bay loading up. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go at 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, speaking of the trade deadline, Jordan Bennington's available? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's rare that you're blindsided by a report that comes out about the team that you cover, but that was the case yesterday for me, guys, as I was seeing Frank Saravalli's report that apparently Doug Armstrong has contacted teams perceived to be active on the goaltending market 
and pitched Jordan Bennington as a potential solution to their issues. This comes from Sarah Valley. I'm reading from his report right here. It appears that right now, Ville Husso would be Craig Berube's game one starter for the Stanley Cup playoffs, not Bennington. So the move could be multifaceted for St. Louis. Armstrong would move on from Bennington's contract, create salary cap flexibility to add elsewhere for his roster before Monday, and it would open the door for the Blues to re-sign Ville Husso in the offseason. Again, that report coming from Frank Saravalli. I'm going to now put my spin on this, Alex. I don't think this happens by Monday. I don't think that the Blues will go out there and trade Jordan Bennington within the next three days. I very much believe that they were asking other teams if they would be interested in Jordan Bennington and if they would take on that full contract. And I would not be surprised at this point if that's something they explore more in the offseason. Yeah, I think you're, you're planting the seeds, as Craig Button mentioned to us. And this is really interesting because it's your number one goaltender, and then you're basically telling them, ah, we're going to see what we could do. And if there's one thing I know about Doug Armstrong is he's not – making calls about a player without talking to that player first because he respects the game way too much to just try and go behind a player's back. So what's interesting about this is if you are planting a seed, for me, you're doing this because you don't want to lose out on Billy Huso, but you're also doing this because you're trying to open up more cap space, knowing what you have coming in Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, but also knowing what's potentially out there and upgrading your top four. And on top of that, possibly looking at the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes. But with the Jordan Bennington thing, I I think it makes more sense to be doing this now, contacting teams. Not trading them, but opening Contacting them, letting them know, like, hey, we're looking at this right now. And then when the offseason rolls around, because, look, that's when desperation really sets in for teams. If you're the Edmonton Oilers and you miss the playoffs or you go to the playoffs and you get swept in the first round and goaltending's your issue, or right now there's reports that New Jersey's done with Mackenzie Blackwood and they want a little bit more certainty because New Jersey wants to compete next year. Those are the teams that go into the offseason and say, we have to upgrade this area. How do you upgrade? Well, we'll go take a guy who's got term on his contract right now who was a Stanley Cup champion and we'll see what we can get. I don't think Doug Armstrong's trying to get anything in return for this other than trying to open up that cap space. So this blindsided me too because I truly felt like they viewed Jordan Bennington as a guy who was just going to get back on track. But if you're already starting to contact individuals for this, I think you're planting the seeds of what a big offseason could be. Yeah, when I look at it, it reminds me a lot of what Washington did this offseason with Carson Wentz. Uh, I mean, there are teams that are desperate. And in the NHL, if you don't have a goalie, Alex, we've seen this from the Blues before. Like, if you don't have a goal, you have no chance. Same thing in the NFL. If you don't have a quarterback, you can't even evaluate your team, much less have any sort of real consideration to contend in the NFL. And so, yeah, you start planting these seeds. And the Blues have a really good situation right now. They've got two goalies that they legitimately trust. And in the offseason, if they want to keep Ville Husso long-term, you probably do need to move Jordan Bennington. So you plant the seeds now. You look towards the offseason. You allow yourself to have that flexibility if you decide to move on from Jordan Bennington. If things go really well the rest of the year, by the way, with Benner, and he regains his job and he ends up going on a run in the playoffs, you just you let Ville Husso walk. You keep Jordan Bennington, and you keep moving. I think the only real surprise to me here is that this got out. It's not surprising to me at all that they've been floating the the idea of him potentially going elsewhere. It is surprising to me, given the way that Army works, and this is probably coming from the other teams more so than it is from the Blues, that this ended up leaking and getting to somebody that reported it publicly. That's the only real surprise for me here on this report. Yeah, I mean, I'm really surprised by that as well. And again, Doug Armstrong likes to hold things close to the chest. And again, 
you take these with a grain of salt. And somebody texted on the Air Comfort Service text line saying, guys, there's no talk about Jordan Bennington, one very overrated journalist who's trying to stir stuff up. Frank Saravalli is not an overrated journalist. He is also one of the most connected guys in terms of hockey agents and sources when it comes to trade speculation, signings, and whatnot. The guy broke every single player that was going to be selected by Seattle. That's not an overrated journalist. But you do have to take these with a grain of salt because you don't know if Doug Armstrong's calling to say, hey, we'd like to trade Jordan Bennington, or if he's calling to say, hey, how much do you want a goaltender? Because sometimes teams are desperate enough to trade a first-round draft pick, and if you look at it and you're like, okay, or maybe teams are contacting Doug Armstrong and the script is getting flipped on this. There's so many different directions you can go with this. I do not believe Bennington's going to be traded by Monday at 2 o'clock Central Time. I do believe that Doug Armstrong's looking at this and saying, we can't lose Billy Husso, but we also can't afford $10.5 million in goaltenders. So we're going to have to figure out something. And if we can't do this, then you know what? Binner, you're our guy moving forward. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get to one's got to go here in about five minutes or so. Uh, speaking of the trade deadline, there is a report from Fa- Frank Saravalli. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks have made a big trade. It looks like Tampa Bay is expected to send multiple first-round picks to Chicago for Hagel. They, according to Frank Saravalli, he, he believes this is their version of Coleman or Goudreau from last year. Wow. Uh, Hagel is signed for two more seasons, so there is term on his deal. Multiple, multiple first-round picks potentially going back to Chicago. Man, the prices are just really high, especially for guys with term. Like, if this is what Hagel is going to get on the open market, and you didn't hear a ton about multiple teams getting in on a big bidding war here. Yeah. I think it's going to be crazy expensive for a guy like Jacob Chikrin or an Ivan Provorov. I, I do think that the Blues might end up having to go the rental route. And when you look at the offseason, as we're talking about this Jordan Bennington thing, I think that's when they make their big move. I don't know if it's signing a guy. I don't know if it's trading for a guy. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I think they open up that flexibility this offseason, and that's when they really fix their blue line issues. Yeah, I'm with you. I will say, though, I mean, Doug Armstrong's an aggressive individual, and the one thing that you could see happening is, you know, of course Arizona and Philly wants a lot for those players in Chikrin and Provorov, but if nobody's willing to meet those numbers for them and Doug Armstrong's giving a, a satisfactory deal, I could see one of those teams. And the one that really gets me is Provorov, especially after talking to Craig Button. And if you missed it, go back and check it out after our show, 101ESPN.com on the podcast page uh, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Button basically said the situation with Provorov and Philly right now is kind of getting really interesting because I think Philly's looking to move on from the player because he might just be mentally checked out from the Philadelphia Flyers team. And if nobody's willing to meet, let's just say hypothetically, two first-round draft picks and a prospect, and Doug Armstrong's coming to him and saying, look, we'll give you a first, we'll give you a second, and we'll give you a Zachary Bullduke. I think Philly might say, you know what, we might just take this because who knows what next year is going to look like. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Quick update on the NCAA tournament score update for you guys. Auburn up 66-50 to over Jacksonville State. About eight minutes to play in that one um, for that game. Also, we have Texas Tech up 43-20. to My Let's God. Go. With three minutes to go uh, in the first on. half against Montana State. Alex is happy about his seven-game parlay. Purdue up 28-21, seven minutes ago in the first half over Yale. And Ohio State, the first winner for today against Loyola of Chicago. Uh, no surprise, I loved Loyola of Chicago in that game. No Coming surprise, up next, you loved Montana State, too, in this one. So. Let's play a game of one got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right 
back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Let's start out with this one. One got to go playoff edition. The NHL playoffs, the Major League Baseball playoffs, the NFL playoffs, or March Madness. Alex, which one's got to go? Obviously, NFL playoffs because they cheat in terms of the overtime rules. Uh, It's getting fixed. One possession, and that's it for you. This one's tough because... Hockey playoffs and baseball playoffs are in there no matter what. And it comes down to March Madness and NFL playoffs. And honestly, I think I would give the edge to March Madness. And as much as I hate to do that because, like, the NFL playoffs are always so exciting, I'm not as – it's once a week, whereas March Madness, I mean, takes away an entire weekend for me. And then after that, it's just every single time that there's games. So I hate it because I love NFL playoffs. But I'll say that's the one that's got to go for me. Yeah, I can't get rid of March Madness just because it, because the insanity that goes with it. I'm not getting rid of the NHL playoffs because literally anybody that gets in can go on a run and win it all. I, I, th- I think I would keep the NFL because it's got the one and done. I think I would get rid of the Major League Baseball playoffs. It, and it's such a it's such a different Bold game. take here in St. Louis, I Tanner. Know, I know. Bold take. But, but the MLB because playoffs. Because he's sick of watching I, getting bumped in the wild card game. Yeah, but but I, I enjoy the MLB playoffs. I would just get rid of it because, you know, it's it's a series, so it, it, there's not as much at stake with it if you lose just the first game. And also, Major League Baseball playoffs is such a different game compared to what the regular season is because of the bullpen mixing and matching and all that. So I, I would have to get rid of the Major League Baseball playoffs. This might be a hot take. It's the NCAA tournament for me. And I love the NCAA Whoa. tournament, but all of these are good just options, right? You like, you got to make a tough everybody. Decision here, yeah. And if we're being totally honest, most of the games stink in the NCAA tournament, what? the first weekend in particular. And that's not to suggest that it's not fun. Of course, it's fun, especially when you get a game like last night with San Francisco versus Murray State, or you get an upset where a Kentucky now is on the ropes, and you're watching a team that you didn't even know existed two weeks ago in St. Peter's, who just got verified on Twitter today Whoa, after beating Kentucky. Way to go. At least there's verified. I can't get verified. Don't get me wrong. It's fun. It's a it's a ton of fun, and it's the greatest thing you could ever ask for as a gambler. But a lot of the games stink, and the NFL playoffs, that is not the case. Most of the games are awesome, especially once you get to the divisional round and beyond. And the same thing's true for the NHL playoffs. It's the it's it's amazing. I mean, the, the level of intensity in those games is unparalleled. And I'm not getting rid of the MLB playoffs because I want to watch the Cardinals. So... I've got to go March Madness. That's the one that I'm getting rid of, even though obviously all four of these are awesome, and I would prefer to not have to get rid of any of them. One's got to go in a trade for Sean Manaya. Juan Yepes, Lars Nupar, Nolan Gorman, or Matthew Liberator. Which one's got to go? Yepes, Gorman, Nupar, or Liberator? So meaning the one that we don't want traded or the one that we want traded? One that you would want to go to the A's in this um, deal. I would say Lars Nupar. Um... And I guess after all this news today of Juan Yepes possibly starting in the minors, you start to change your mind. But I just feel like you got a lot of outfielder prospects, and I feel like your outfield is set for at least the next three years. So Lars Nupar being the fourth outfielder, 
you can always sign a fourth outfielder. They just did it with Corey Dickerson, who probably has a better trajectory than Lars Newpar. So if I had to pick one to go to acquire Sean Manaya, it would be Lars Newpar. Yeah, I think I would say Lars Newpar as well. And the reason I would say it is just because, you know, when I it'd be between him and Yepes because I'm keeping Libertor and Gorman. But when I when I look at Newpar, he's never been viewed as a top 30 prospect in the organization. Yepes has, so there's some... There's some value in that for me. Plus, kind of like what Alex just said, you have a couple. Your outfield is set. You just signed a left-handed bat in Corey Dickerson. Not really much of a role, in my opinion, for Newport. So I would have to say him. I'm totally agreeing with you guys. I think this one's pretty easy. I would go with uh, Lars Newport as well. I just don't know that he's going to have a big role this year. I think you like having him, but Alec Burleson, if you put him on the roster instead of Lars Newport. I don't know that it really changes my expectations for the team this year, honestly. Especially now that they've signed Corey Dickerson. My answer would have been different 48 hours ago. Corey Dickerson, I think, basically has the same role that we were anticipating Lars Newbar having this season. Uh, so you've got his direct replacement. And then later this year, you could have somebody that just projects to be better than that with uh, Nolan Gorman as a lefty back coming off of the bench as a DH, whatever. So I, I want to keep Lar uh, Juan Yepes in his right-handed option with no real splits there. And I, I'm not getting rid of uh, Matthew Libertor. He's, he's an untradeable for me right now unless you get a big-time player in return. So, yeah, Lars Newbar is definitely the one that I would trade in this scenario. One's got to go betting type edition. Prop bets, a parlay, money line bets, or point totals. Prop bets, parlays, money line bets, or point totals. Which one's got to go? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I, I wouldn't get rid of the parlay because those are fun, even though I suck at them. You know uh, that's Alex's number one Yeah, option. you know that one's staying for him. He loves betting five bucks and winning 3000 on a bet that he's never going to win. Yeah. he, he <laughs> I'm about to cover leg one of parlay, boys. I well, but got further than I ever got in the two parlays I made yesterday. I lost in the first leg. Um, I, I enjoy prop bets. I actually enjoy the point spread a lot because I think it's kind of fun to, like, a football example is, okay, can the Chiefs beat the Rams by three and a half points? I enjoy that. Honestly, the money line one, I, I don't really get all that excited for because it's basically picking someone to win, and I get it, and that's a difficult thing. But you always don't have very good odds, and it's always a little bit tougher. So I think I would get rid of the money line, actually. Money line plays are fun in Although hockey. Although St. Peter's made me some good money. <laughs> money line plays are fun in hockey, but, like, it doesn't bring the excitement as the other ones. Uh, prop bets, it, it keeps you invested in the game throughout, and so does the point spreads. And, T-Bone, what do I always tell you? Scared money don't make money. Parlays are number one for your boy. That's why I thought Stop I was going to be the negative for a while yesterday. Stop making $2 bets and trying to win $4. Put $5 down and pull out seven fifty. Scared I money don't make money. I put on St. Peter's. What do you mean? Scared money don't make money. I don't like the point total bets. Yeah. I'm to be totally honest with you guys. I'm, I'm not a big point total guy. I love parlays. Money line bets, I've got three of them in right now. I've, I love the whoa, prop whoa, bets wait, as well. Wait, wait, Who do you have on the money line? No, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. Well, I, I want to know who Iowa I State, bet on. Davidson, and Colgate. Those are my three money line Why bets. Why would you okay. put Iowa See, State on Iowa here, Iowa State plus 135 against LSU. Are we feeling Davidson good about Iowa State? Davidson minus 105 against Michigan State. And Colgate plus 255 against Wisconsin. I like all three of those. Oh, we got, we got our guys over here. We got Iowa State. Thumbs See? up. We're good. They're three for three. They love all three bets. That's what I heard coming from them, even as they were booing on all three bets. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Four one's got to go. Last one here. One got to go hotel edition after we stayed in an Airbnb last night. The complimentary breakfast bar, exercise area, a swimming pool, or the complimentary mini bar. Which one's oh, got to go? Easy. The breakfast bar, easy. exercise area, swimming pool, or the mini bar? This is easy, but go ahead, Timo. It's the exercise room. Who needs to be in shape? Come on. <laughs>
Mine's, yeah. a, mine's a swimming pool. It's a cesspool of bacteria. I, I enjoy going for a swim. That's like the people that get in the hot tubs so in the if hotels. So uh, if you get rid of swimming pools at all hotels, though, now if you're going down to, like, Miami, for example, you can't go in the swimming pool and look out on the water while you're out there. So I can't do that. You are a miserable human. You are the Aaron Rodgers of beach time. It's the <laughs> breakfast bar for me. Really? Like complimentary, complimentary breakfast, breakfast, breakfast bar. The cinnamon rolls? I would if I'm on a trip, I like going out and exploring the local cuisine. I don't need to be having a, oh, a yeah. box of we cereal forgot. for breakfast. He doesn't want to get a nice complimentary cinnamon roll because he's got to go find his uh, black tilapia on marble <laughs> rye in the morning. Yeah. He's got to go get his protein shake with kale and garlic in it. We went to a great breakfast spot today. We went to a good spot yesterday. I, I am all about going to a new place and enjoying their local uh, food scene so i'm getting rid of the complimentary breakfast hold bar. on this hold one's on. easy for me what do you think his number one is what do you mean in terms of which one i want to have yeah what do you think oh, his it's number one be is? The it's exercise the exercise room. room it's a swimming pool swimming pools can't go can't go gotta have it bk likes i would go bacteria. swimming pool one exercise area two complimentary mini bar three more like bacteria but i'm the guy killer. that always expects Wait, to go I'm... work out and then i never actually do when yeah. i'm on vacation he told, us he, was gonna, <laughs> he told us he was gonna run this morning and then he wakes up at 8 45 his hair's on mass he's like oh yeah <laughs> yeah at first though i did who else woke up gone. at 8 45 today Alex? This, guy, <laughs> this guy and my wife my poor wife back at home the baby slept until 3 30 in the morning and it was up every hour and my butt doesn't wake up until 8.45, so Karma will get me on that one a little bit later. <laughs> this guy. Get rid of the complimentary breakfast bar because I want to go taste uh, the, the scenery. The text line is helping me. 65780 is the air cover service. Exxon from the 636. The breakfast sucks at hotels. Uh, from the 314. I don't know how you can say something sucks when it's free. Yeah, not, hey, it's free. It must be good. Exactly. The only reason BK wants to get rid of the breakfast bar is because he hasn't been to a classy hotel that gives him more than bagels and cereal on the breakfast That's bar. That's also very true. He's <laughs> got to have his, his eggs benedict on avocado toast in the morning. You know that's a go-to for me. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind as we wrap things up here from Max in downtown Alton, Illinois on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario with the rewind. A good day in the NCAA tournament thus far. Not a whole lot of close calls. Texas Tech up right now 52-25 to at the half over Montana State. Purdue also leading Yale 46-33 at the half. Ohio State already took down Loyola of Chicago 54-41. to And Auburn, it has now gone final, beat Jacksonville State 80-61. to That's where things stand right now in the NCAA tournament. Yesterday was a fun day, guys, especially the way that things finished out. You saw St. Peter's take down Kentucky. It was the fourth biggest underdog in the last 35 years to win in the NCAA tournament. Richmond took down Iowa, which absolutely shredded my bracket. It was my number one bet of the game. Uh, of the day new mexico state over yukon as well we were saying we couldn't find any of the 12 over 5 matchups that we liked well how about all of them 
that was the correct answer to the question, which one do you like? Uh, biggest takeaway from the NCAA tournament thus far, guys, is what? Pure chaos, and now everyone's bracket is ruined thanks to Kentucky and Iowa. I think, uh, what was the number, uh, T-Bone, that you said? It was like 196, I think, going into today. That were still perfect. perfect. I, I mean, I, I think as much as the upset Kentucky pick was, that Iowa one ruined so many people because that's everyone that was like, me, oh, yeah, we got the upset play here, and... And, uh, well, they, they choke in the first round. It didn't go well. Biggest thing for me is if you have a gut feeling, trust your gut. Because <laughs> I, I said multiple times, I said, guys, I don't have a 12 versus 5, and yep. I don't feel comfortable with it. What happens, the 12 seeds win. And I also said, I like Richmond. I like Richmond. I think they have a chance to beat him. I think I'll just take him on the points. So I think they still lose. What happens, Richmond wins. I think we're going to see even more chaos. I think a little bit later on today we're going to see a couple. I think Colgate has a legitimate shot. I think uh, Iowa. I think it's is it Iowa State taking LSU. on yeah. LSU. I think they have a legitimate shot to win. And I had another upset. I can't remember who it was. And remember but. everyone, hashtag fade BK. Yesterday, I thought the best game of the day was San Francisco versus Murray State. Murray State ends up outlasting them in overtime. By the way, San Francisco's head coach Todd Golden is expected to be named the new head coach down at Florida. I thought he was the best case scenario for Mizzou. You could take him off of your big board for Mizzou coaching candidates. Matt McMahon. Murray State's head coach and Kim English, in my opinion, are the last two guys that you need to be looking at if you're Mizzou. And those guys, cool. uh, Matt McMahon's still in in play, but he's got a game this weekend, and now he's going to take on a be 15 going on a seed. So it might be a little bit before Mizzou ends up making their next hire. I think the game that has the chance to be today's version of what yesterday was between uh, San Francisco and Murray State. Houston versus UAB. That could be a really fun game between those two teams. U UAB is a trendy upset pick. That's a 12-5 matchup. Houston is considered by Kim Palm to be one of the top 10 teams in the country. Uh, that's got a chance to be an up-and-down, fun, high-paced game between those two teams. I like Houston to advance, which means you should probably put your money over right. on UAB. Crap. A little Easy bit money. of baseball news to pass along before we get out of here, hand things off over to the fast lane. Uh, Matt Carpenter, congratulations to him. He has reached an agreement on a minor league deal with the Texas Rangers. He's from that area. According to Ken Rosenthal, he had offers for a major league deal from at least one other club, decided to bet on himself. He wanted to play at home, lives in Fort Worth, Texas. Good spot for him, awesome. potentially. So rooting for Matt Carpenter. Hopefully things go well with him down in Texas. You said earlier today, Alex, by the way, Matt, uh, Brad Miller, $10 million. Uh, $10 million for Brad Miller and wow. the Texas Rangers. Millsy so getting paid. Millsy and Carpenter Love reunited down with the Texas Rangers. Enjoy the rest of the games today. The Fast Lane's coming up from 2 to 6, broadcasting live from Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. It's been awesome to be out here with you guys the last couple of days. Thanks to every one of you that were able to come on through. Anybody else that wants to stop by after work today, start your weekend off right with the Fast Lane out here from 2 to 6 on 101 ESPN. Please. Jacob Middleton from, from San Jose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nah, nah. I mean, he's big. He, he fits the criteria in height and weight. Problem is, he's not a very good player. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.